your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. For the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Attention turns to Adam Wainwright. Brad, it's been far too long since Adam has enjoyed the sweet taste of victory. Right. Little chopper. Wayne's got it. Second one. Turn to first. Double play. Wayne got out of it. He pitches around E5, and the Orioles strand him in the fourth. The Cardinals hold a 3 0 lead. And strike three surprised him inside corner. A perfect pitch for Wainwright. He got him. Frazier swings and misses, and Wado makes another huge pitch to end the fifth inning. He bends but doesn't break. Popped up, popped him up. Who's got it? Tommy's got it. And the Cardinals have won it. It was a good one. It's, it's been a long time coming, but um, tonight my stuff was better. I had better better action on my pitches and attacked better. It's a great team over there, so I'm glad we won, and uh, it was a good win for our team, too. That's probably the best we've seen them in a while. Ran into traffic, was able to pitch out of it, and um, but being able to bring in Helsley with a three-run lead and feeling good about it and closing that game out is, uh, is awesome to see. I felt myself legitimately rooting for Wayno last night. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. As Wayno gets to 199 last night, Alex, moment of honesty. This is the trust circle right here. Did you think they were winning that game? No, thought they were blowing it. Especially when it was, what, a three-run lead in the sixth when you were going to your bullpen. And that second outing for Matthew Libertor, I'm like, oh, bleep, here it goes. Good on Ollie and staff to get them out of there when they did and be able to re, re Hey, good on Libby for getting out of that yeah. jam. Yeah. But, yeah, no, uh, honestly, I thought that was going to get blown up in front of his face. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. What was it, first and second against Libertor? And I yep. went, oh, this, is gonna, yeah. this isn't going to end well. Yeah, Mullins up. Yeah, uh, I, I, I saw what happened in game one with Mullins up in a big spot. I kind of assumed the same thing was going to happen. That's how I felt as well. And when Libertor got out of that jam, that was the moment for me where I was like, all right, I think they're going to find a way to get this one done. And you know what else I thought, too? I thought on that pop-up on the infield that ended that inning, that Libertor oh, caught. Dude. I thought for sure that thing was dropping and then he was going to give him a home run. I he was thought screaming. he was going to drop it. You could tell afterwards yeah. and Wynn came over to him and was like, hey, next let me time get that. just let me grab that <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> let me grab that I one. I thought that was like a rule in baseball. It like, is. Don't let the pitcher, pitcher catch get the pop. Out of there. Yeah, you're going to trip on the mound. You're going to fall somewhere. Just uh. let the infielders do that. This is not your job. Your job is to get them to weekly pop out. You have done your job. Now let the infielders do theirs. You think you're a big man? You think you're a big boy? <laughs> 
but they get it done. Wayno gets to 199. I think we're all on the same page here. I think if he didn't get that last night, I'm not sure he's getting to 200 this year. The first thing I said, like if they blow this for him, Wayno's not going to get 200 this year because you got what four starts, including three that one now, right? Well, yeah. four including that yeah. one. So you lose that. We're talking two wins in your last three, and if I'm not mistaken, you have a couple of tough opponents that Wayno would have to go up against. So yeah, I thought that one had to be if he wants to get to 200. His next scheduled start is against Milwaukee at home next Monday. After that is on the road in San Diego. And then you would assume they'll get him one more at home against Cincinnati on that final homestand. I don't know exactly how the scheduling is going to work there, but yeah. So you got one against Milwaukee, one against San Diego, you hope that you're able to get one of those, too. I personally have tickets to the game against Cincinnati in the final day of the regular season. That'll be Luca's first game. Uh, BKO, he's going to pitch the uh, second to last game of the season. I, no, <laughs> I fully anticipate he's going to pitch the final game and they're going to find a way to get a walk off uh, or I guess not a walk off. You walk on a f- ninth inning. Take the lead away from the Cardinals. Come from behind victory. This is the second time. I know. In the last couple months, he said that they're going to lose on a walk off at home. I'm a little concerned about BK. I'll tell you one thing it'll be a farty. One of these days, I'm going to learn who hits last (laughs) in in a home game. Um, Analytics. I asked you guys this before the show today. Do you have a big takeaway? Like, is there a big, grandiose take on Wayno getting to 199? I. My big takeaway was what we just talked about. Like, I think he needed to get there yesterday in order for him to find a way to get to 200. But I don't have this, like, grand sentimentality of of necessarily getting to 200 the way that many do. I think it's going to be really cool. Don't get me wrong. And I was rooting like hell for him to be able to get that one last night because of how many they've wasted recently. But I don't really have a big, like, oh, now I feel this way about Wayno in a way that I didn't previously I looked it up earlier today. I do find this to be pretty cool. Of the active pitchers, Wayno is now fifth. He has been fifth, but is fifth um, among the active pitchers and wins. Verlander's at 255, Greinke 224, Scherzer 215, uh, Kershaw 209, and then Wayno at 199 now. But I don't have this like grand big picture take on it. No, I mean, unfortunately for how the season has gone, it does take away like that excitement and thrill of him chasing 200. And I guess for how the season's gone for him as well. I I think the only big takeaway for me was the fact that if you're Wayno, you have to get this victory here. And I I know 200 might not mean a lot to some people. And for Wayno, it means a hell of a lot. Sure. The part for me that I guess was a takeaway was witnessing the importance of that win from the players for Wayno. Like Wilson Contreras made that pop-up catch in the first inning behind home plate to get out of that inning with two on. And he like acted like they won the game at that point. And I'm like, okay, you could tell that that matters. Mason Wynn making a play. Nolan Arenado's frustration when he didn't make that throw at third base where it looked like runners were threatening in scoring position. If there was any real takeaway from it, it's the fact that, yeah, the Cardinals actually cared in that sense for Adam Wainwright, but Otherwise, unfortunately, this kind of season has put a damper on that chase for 200. But knowing that he's got a chance for it now, at least that sets it up pretty awesome. Yeah, so I I agree with you guys in terms of I don't I'm not sure he gets it if he doesn't win that game last night. But I will say this, too, for the struggles that Wayno has had this year and the multiple times where I think we've come on after a Wayno start and said, man, it's just tough to watch right now. I do. I am happy to see that things are starting to look better for Wayno down the stretch. I'm glad to see that he is starting to put together good outings recently. And you can say, hey, at least he's finishing his career strong. Like, I know he gave up six against Atlanta. 
completely honesty, he should not have been out there for the sixth yeah. inning. Should have been pulled after five, and his line looks completely different. The start against San Diego gave up just one earned run through six innings. Last night, two earned runs through uh, five innings where he's able to kind of push his way through, though there's a lot of traffic on base. I'm glad to see that at least he is showing signs that he's going to finish strong in these final three stars to where he does have that opportunity to not just get win 199 last night, but be able to get that final kind of push for 200. Uh, somebody on the text line asked, guys, do you think that it means anything to Hall of Fame voters if he gets to 200? I, I honestly don't. I know that people have kind of made that case recently. And if Wayno had gone out there this year and was just like awesome the way that he was in 21, where he looked like one of the better pitchers in the National League, Maybe that would have meant something if he were able to earn some more Cy Young votes this year. Something like that maybe does help to make his case of longevity. Given how poorly this season has gone for him, I don't think that 200 wins really does much for him. I, I don't think that Wayno's is or should be or will be a Hall of Famer. And that's not to denigrate anything that he's accomplished in his career. He's been a Hall of Very Good. He is a Cardinals Hall of Famer. He's going to be a Red Jacket member. He's going to go down as one of the best pitchers in the history of this franchise. All of that is well and good. But if we're talking about the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, no, I I don't think that it will change anything for Hall of Fame voters. And I'm just going to give you my honest-to-God opinion. I don't think it should. I don't think Wayne is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think there are a lot more guys that have played in the majors that are not Hall of Famers, that hurts the cause for Adam Wainwright. And 200 wins is a awesome thing for him to be able to walk away from and say, what an incredible career I had, especially doing this all with St. Louis. But you can write it in permanent marker that he's going to be a Cardinals Hall of Famer and enjoy that. But for him, if he's going to make a Hall of Fame bid, it's going to be on that second turn where they they go the the older player version of getting in. I don't think it's going to be on the Hall of Fame side. And 200 wins isn't going to make that much of a difference on that end. And he's missing the one big thing, and that's the Cy Young. Though he finished top five multiple times, we talked about it. What what really put Goldie's career over the top recently? It was the MVP. He was really missing a MVP on his resume, and he got it last year, which helps really solidify his case. I think this it's kind of the same thing for Adam Wainwright, where he is a Hall of Very Good, but I don't think he gets in because I don't think 200 wins really changes it. I think you're probably right. If he ends up pitching really well at the age of 41, then maybe it kind of adds to the storyline of, okay, maybe you can kind of squint and see him getting in. But I, I just can't, and he doesn't have the Cy Young to really be on his resume to really back up that kind of claim. Somebody on the text line asks if I believe that John Lester belongs in the Hall of Fame. I don't. No, I, I think that he's close. I, I think that he's probably slightly closer than than Wayno is. He didn't get a Cy Young, did he? Um, but I, I do not think that he belongs in the, in, in the Hall of Fame either. And I think that it's because it's really hard to get to that level. No, Lester never yeah, did. Actually so he fell to the, the same circumstances. Wayno, you get the wins, you get the World Series, you get the key piece in a World Series, but you don't have that Cy Young. Yeah. I, and I would also add this. Like, this is not to suggest that one was necessarily better as a playoff pitcher than the other. But if we're just talking about like postseason success, getting late into the postseason as a starter. Lester did have a little bit more of that than Wayno did. I know that Wayno was able to close out the World Series, but Lester was on two teams uh, as a starter in the World Series. So um, I, I don't think that either is or will be in the Hall of Fame after their careers are done. I do want to talk about a guy who I don't think is going to be a Hall of Famer. Oh, perfect segue for you, man. You should have pounced on him. Has made his way into our good graces, at least defensively thus far. Guys, I think the Cardinals have found their Angelton Simmons defensively. Runners lead the payoff pitch. Bouncing ball. Might get two out of it. Got to hurry. There's one. There's two. Double play. The cannon arm of 
takes care of Mullins at first. Runner at third, two out. I thought that was the play of the game. I don't think the Cardinals win that game if not for that double play. And I think, what T-Bone, how many shortstops do you think make that play? Like two, maybe? Because you, yeah. you have to have a cannon of an arm. I mean, like if you're Ellie De La Cruz, maybe O'Neal Cruz, like those are the kinds of guys that could do this. But it is a very short list of players that could make the play that Mason Wynn did last night in order to turn two on that spot. That was incredible. And for him to be able to do that, and we've seen a lot of stuff that he's done defensively so far, all of the hype has been real. Now, I know the offense is not there. He's looked at times completely overwhelmed at the plate. But if you, we asked this whenever he came up, would you sign up for him to be Andrelton Simmons? Offensively, defensively, everything that comes along with that. So far, that's looking like the comparison that's holding the most water to me. He is an excellent defender. And going into next year, this team needed to get better defensively up the middle. I think Mason Wynn helps you there. And I think that's the floor. And we've seen that the offense, he can have success with it, depending on the sustained amount of time. We saw that with Memphis. We even talked to him about it. Maybe you get better offense than what Angelton Simmons. And I know Simmons was actually really good at the beginning of his career with offense. But uh, if that's the floor of what we're looking at with Mason Wynn, where, you know, you're getting gold glove elite defense at shortstop and the offense might not be there every single night. I am a okay with that because frankly, they have been desperate for that at the shortstop position. Paul DeYoung has been great when he played there for you. Johnny Peralta was fine. Led Miss Diaz, but like we've gone through this cycle since Edgar Renteria, just give me somebody who every single day I can say he's going to be there and I'm getting gold glove defense for my pitchers. And you've got the, you've got the offense around him. That's the other thing. Like previously three, four, five years ago, this Cardinals lineup could not have somebody like Mason win in it. That's why Paul DeYoung was the whipping boy for so long because he needed that offense. He's batting cleanup for you. You know, like Bader was asked to bat fifth and sixth for you at times over the past few years. Just have a dude that is that secondary leadoff player that, you know, hey, man, he's he's going to bat like 230, 240 for the season. And he's going to give us gold glove caliber defense at shortstop. If you can get that out of Mason Wynn next year, you are in a really good spot. Yeah. And I I think when you look at him, I I think the defense makes up for any kind of issue you may have offensively. It's kind of the opposite of Contreras. You know what? Contreras works at catcher if his bat plays because defensively it's going to be a negative on a team. But his bat can equal it out. For Mason Wynn, it's the opposite. His defense can equal out him hitting ninth for you and not being much of an offensive contributor. He could have a positive war just because of defense alone and not have anything to do with his performance at the plate. All right, guys, completely unrelated to the game last night. Can I read you a little bit from what Ken Rosenthal just posted over on The Athletic? Cardinals related unless it's talking about how the Cardinals and Yamamoto already have a deal in place. I don't want to hear it. It's actually looking back at the trade deadline. Oh, they had I a deal in this. place for Logan Gilbert. They did have a deal in place. It was not for Logan Gilbert, oh, but it geez. was for Jack Flaherty to go somewhere else. I saw the this. Yankees for Clark Schmidt. I didn't see this, so let's hear it. As the Orioles and Rays brace for a four-game showdown at Camden Yard starting on Thursday, here's an interesting twist. The Rays had agreed on a deal with the Cardinals for right-hander Jack Flaherty in the final hours prior to the August 1st trade deadline. But that deal collapsed in the medical review stage, according to sources briefed on the discussions, and the Cardinals ended up dealing Flaherty to the Orioles instead. The medical issue, according to Ken Rosenthal, presumably was not with Jack Flaherty, but the uh, yeah, it was not with Jack Flaherty. The Rays envisioned Flaherty joining a rotation that at the time included McClanahan, Glasnow, Eflin, and Aaron Savali. Two days after that deadline, though, of course, they have been depleted in terms of that rotation because of injuries. 
We you guys think they were going to we get Randy or Rosarena? Do you guys think they were going to send Helsley to the race? No, no. I, I don't think so. I, I think I think it was a jack trade, and, and somebody in return, somebody ended up in getting return flagged medically had flag medically. Medically, I I From also Tampa? could see where Flaherty got flagged medically too. I know he's saying it. That's not. Yeah. He doesn't think that's the case. But Man, we're he's, surprised. We know his shoulders yeah, messed up. We know up. his shoulders messed up. The Cardinals and talked Baltimore about it a said, lot. Well, this is the best thing we can do, so let's exactly. get it. And Baltimore probably regrets their decision. It also explains why it took so long to get that Jack Flaherty deal done. If they yeah. thought they had one done and then it fell apart because of I'd medical I'd like to know issues. who the medical issue was for the Tampa Bay yeah. player I'm sure, I'm sure he's a prospect. And the weird thing about it is the Cardinals acquired a prospect, a top-end prospect from Texas that had a medical issue, yep. but they cleared that as being okay. Because remember, TK Robin, when he was acquired, mm-hmm. was on the IO with a shoulder. But strain he made his or first something. start like in a two weeks yeah. and after being acquired. So this one must have been a lot more serious. We're probably getting a guy who's having Tommy John. You know, bring him in, let him so recover. Like the Winter and then Soldier, he would man. Take off. Bring yeah, that maybe it was one of the pitchers that is currently on the IL for the uh, the race. Maybe we're going to get, trying... get glass now. No, neither of those two. Oh. Maybe it was one of those guys that the Rays currently have on the IL that was going to be a part of the Cardinals rotation in 2024. I wonder if that's what they well, were looking I'd at. I'd say there. they lost that trade and then. If they did, that does make me wonder what is it going to look like this offseason? Are they considering one of those guys that's trying to bounce back off of Tommy John? For example, Tyler Malley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're getting to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. We have, of course, Justin Falk, the Blues defenseman, joining us coming up at 1 30. We'll ask him about the Falketeers. How's he feel about that as his fan club uh, name? But coming up next, we're getting into some NFL quick hitters, including. The Jets telling everybody who will listen that their quarterback the rest of the way is a man that is already on the roster. Is that the right decision? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, going to join us in less than 10 minutes here on 101 ESPN. But right now, we got to get to some NFL quick hitters. Boys, let's start out with this. The New York Jets lost Aaron Rodgers for the season on Monday Night Football. He has a torn Achilles. And so the question was, over the last 24 hours or so, what are they going to do? Are they going to go out and get another quarterback? Are they going to trade for somebody? Are they going to sign Tom Brady? Well, according to Diana Rossini, The Jets have, quote, made it clear in the last 24 hours that Zach Wilson is their starter. Rossini adds that she's told their plan is to head into Dallas and beyond with Zach Wilson as the starting quarterback. They have looked at every option on the table, and the team believes that Wilson is, quote, their best choice, end quote. Alex, do you agree with that? Do you think Zach Wilson is the man to lead this team into the promised land this I, I year? I mean, I think it's their best option. I, I do agree with her in that sense. We went through it yesterday, and I mean, we're I'm just seeing stuff on Twitter that Joe Flacco is saying he's in the best shape of his life. Of course. So, like, I mean, we're, we're, we're cycling through these backup quarterbacks that could be a starter for you in a bad situation and acting like it's going to be good. And look, I know Zach Wilson's not great. I don't like Zach Wilson. But I don't really think there's much out there that's a better option, mostly because he knows the system. You're bringing somebody in this quick to try and learn everything rather than Zach Wilson. So I would say you just stick with him and maybe find somebody that you can still make a move for to have the backup to Zach Wilson. But, yeah, I don't really think there's much out there. Apparently, they've reached out to Chad Haney for that role. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, but there's not there's not anybody out on the market that is good enough or better than Zach Wilson that – 
changes things for you. I basically what you read that tweet translates to the Jets go, yeah, we know we're effed. Yeah, we know sucks. we're no we're not a playoff team. We if we are, we barely back in. Like we're not going to go spend money on a guy that's not even going to help us at all. So we'll just run it back. Maybe we see signs that Zach Wilson has improved, but yeah, we're screwed. They're not they're not going to be a playoff. Team. They got to rebuild for next year. It sucks, but that's the truth of the matter. Like they they went all in. I don't know that there's any team in the NFL right now that is more all in on this season than the New York Jets because you've got Aaron Rodgers and what is age 39 season. They know we we've got to win now. Our window is like two years. It's similar to what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did around Tom Brady. It was the correct move. They went all in and they knew there's going to be hell to pay for this afterwards. We're going to go through a really bad cycle whenever Tom's gone because we have no room to maneuver. There's no cap space available to us. And that's where the Jets are going to be eventually. Unfortunately, the Jets didn't get the front end of what happened with Tom Brady down in Tampa Bay because of how quickly this all went to hell for him. So it, I think it's the right move. I would have personally tried to go get like a Jacoby Brissett. I think he's a really solid starter. I think we saw that last year with the Cleveland Browns. I think you could win 10 games with that guy as your starter. But even if you do... Guys, nothing meaningful is coming out of it. They're not going to yeah. win in the postseason with Jacoby no. Brissett. You're not beating Joe Burrow or, for all of my questions about him, Josh Allen or this Miami Dolphins team, Lamar. Like, there's just too many good quarterbacks in this AFC. So they know where they're at. It's not worth going out there and spending a draft pick to be able to win 10 games and then get your ass kicked yeah. once you get to the postseason. No matter the quarterback you bring in, your winning this year is solely going to be dedicated on your defensive play. That's how you're going to win. And a quarterback's not going to change that. So if you want to win, defense, go win us games every night. Uh, 3143999646 is the air comfort service text line from the 618. Guys, have you talked about the draft pick situation with Rodgers being hurt? Uh, we mentioned it yesterday, but for those that aren't aware, because Rodgers is not going to play, I think it's like 60% of the snaps or something this year, it'll end up being a second-round pick, not a first-round pick that the Jets are sending to Green Bay. So if there's any silver lining, it's that they were able to attach that draft pick compensation to his playing time for this upcoming season. All right, guys, I did want to get to something else here, uh, specifically a piece that was just released over on ESPN.com about the death of the long pass. Now, I found this to be really interesting because it is a trend that we've seen with teams playing so much too high safeties, cover two, right? So this is the, the piece from Brooke Pryor over on ESPN. She said there were 3,400 attempts that went at least 15 yards in the air last year. That was the fewest such attempts since 2006. And if you go by the percentage of total attempts, it is way down. If you're watching the games on Sundays, you could feel this, where it feels like everything is kind of at or near the line of scrimmage. It feels like watching college football in like the mid-2000s, where everybody was running the same system. It was that 2007 Mizzou system where it's, hey, get the ball out of the quarterback's hands. Hell, it's the Eli Drinkwitz system. We're trying <laughs> to get the ball out of your quarterback's I was hands as quickly do as possible. Punt on fourth down? Um, do you guys think that teams will adjust back? Is this something that eventually, because the best way to get teams out of a cover too is to run the football. Are we going to see now over the next couple of seasons a changing of, all right, we got to start veering more towards the running game and try to get that as our way to get teams out of this shell. Do you think we're going to see some of that? I think you're going to see, you're always going to see a change in the way defenses prepare and if offenses can adjust to it, because that's just the name of the game. I don't think that's going to be it forever. Same as in hockey when they do that man-to-man -man style defense where they hold them at the blue line to make them dump. Like, that works fine 
until you get a team that's got speed that adjusts to it. And then you're like, nope, that's not going to work. It's always a copycat league. Every league is. So, yeah, I, I don't think this sustains long term. And frankly, I hope it doesn't because I prefer the long ball. Yeah, I, I think we will see that adjustment. In fact, I think we already are starting to. I don't know about you, but I felt like on Sunday I saw a lot more running than I saw passing outside like the Chargers Dolphins. Well, game. That's because that nobody believes like, in preseason. But but I think that I think that's also because of this too high safety thing. I mean, that's what basically has ended Russell Wilson. Think about it. In yep. Seattle. That guy would just throw the perfect long ball. You're right. And the defense, what they do, they switch that too high and let Russ cook became, oh, my God, don't let Russ cook. Somebody that guy's going to throw too many picks. Somebody cook and that's Russ. what killed Josh Allen last week, too. I mean, he got caught multiple times, I think twice, on the deep ball, two high safeties, and he didn't even read where the safety was. So I feel like, at least based on what I just saw, and I don't have any numbers to back this up, the eye test, I felt like I saw more running over the weekend in week one than I previously had felt like in years past. Yeah, whether it's the running backs or the quarterbacks that just say, I'm not going to throw the ball, I'm just going to run it myself. I think that's the other adjustment. Justin Fields is the one make. that comes to mind for me. Yeah, I think that's the other adjustment that teams are going to make is maybe it's not just this like punishing ground game that you're seeing, but hey, if you're going to take those safeties out of the box, all right, cool, we'll just run some quarterback draws. Here, take a healthy dose of our Josh Allen, our Justin Fields, our Justin Herbert, our Trevor Lawrence. Like, if you're going to do that, that's fine, but we've got a guy that on third down, he can pick up four yards on his own, on his own instead of having to throw out to a wide receiver. I think that's why so many people were higher on the Cleveland Browns than most because Deshaun Watson was scrambling yeah. as much as possible in that game. Yeah, he uh, he looked bad, though, throwing the football. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get to questions and answers. But next, Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. T-Bone on BK. Questions and answers coming up in about 10 minutes or so. If you guys want to get any questions in, you can do that right now on the Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646. The Blues are back in action this weekend, specifically with their prospects going up to the showcase. I believe this is in St. Paul, Minnesota this weekend, and we'll talk that over a little bit with Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. You got Zach Dean up there. You got Bull Duke up there. Alex's favorite Blues player, Leo Loof is going to be a part of it. Who do you think is the guy that you'll have your eyes on going into this weekend with the prospect showcase? Uh, Honestly, I guess out of those guys, for me, it's going to be Zach Dean. I'm curious as a guy that, um, you know, is not, I I think you're looking with with Bull Duke, maybe a little more on the high-end offensive side of things. But I think the way Zach Dean's game is structured, from what I've been told, you know, at least trying to understand the type of player he is, you know, can he find a way to work himself into a role in the bottom six for this team to begin the year? Um, it'll be fascinating to see how that goes. If he doesn't, and I, and I look, and, and Bull Duke could come onto the scene, you know, and just light it up and do what David Perron did, do what Robbie Fabry did, do what Robert Thomas did, and, and force a decision to, to make the team keep him. And my God, would that be great if that were to happen? But, you know, some seasoning down in Springfield for those high-end players to get those high-end minutes at the pro level to start is so important. But I'm I'm most curious about Dean just because we haven't seen much of him from a camp standpoint. So that's that's the one I probably want to look at more than anything. 
Speaking of camp curbs, uh, we got the news yesterday about Tory Krug being reevaluated. It's the nasty word that you never like to hear, although it still gives him some wiggle room before the season starts. What, do, in your opinion, does this mean for Tory Krug going into the season? Well, I, uh, the, the challenge for me with that, Alex, is I don't know. I don't know what the injury is as of yet. We know it's a right foot injury. Um, reevaluated, as you like, you mentioned. It, it's always a different word for me because reevaluated has kind of come into the sports vernacular, saying we hope that we see some progress. We'll see. Like, it, it, we're not able to tell you a time frame right now. Like, we're not able to say this is a two week injury. You know that kind of thing. So we'll have to wait and see. the The challenge with that is they're going to reevaluate them on October 1st. Well, you still have about two weeks to the start of the season at that point. So I don't know what it's going to mean in terms of the start of the season. But let's play a scenario out here. It does mean that you are going to have preseason games without Tory Krug in it to take a look at some other guys on the power play. That's going to be a big opportunity for Scotty Perunovich who is in some terrific shape. I've seen him several times over the last couple of weeks. He's excited. He's so frustrated because he's never really dealt with injuries in his career until he turned pro. So you really hope that Scott can stay healthy and we get to see some of that player that was good enough to win a Hobie Baker you know, while playing college hockey. And the other thing I'm curious about to see is if some of the changes maybe it gives Colton Pareko a little more opportunity. Uh, on that and you know so there's kind of the young player the veteran player part of it but it will open a door to at least at some other looks and we'll see how it plays out chris kerber is the voice of the blues he's joining us here on 101 espn uh curbs yesterday i saw a pretty good story from matthew defranks over in the st louis post dispatch and he wrote about kevin hayes and what he did in the first 53 games last year before uh, things really fell apart for him out in philadelphia he wrote the following In the first 53 games of the season, Hayes put up 17 goals and 30 assists. He was 51st in the NHL in scoring in that stretch, would have been just two points behind of Jordan Cairo at that same point in the season. Curbs, I'm going to ask you the following question. You fill in the blank at the end of this. If the Blues get that version of Kevin Hayes this year, that put up 17 goals and 30 assists in the first 53 games, then blank. Spectacular. Uh, yeah, you just want one word, right? This, this what, is what a BK Madlib. It's a BK. It's a BK Madlib. <laughs> like, um, then what? Do you what guys does even know what? the Blues? Let me ask that a different way. Yeah. Well, real quick, do you guys even know what a Madlib is? Of course, man. Yeah, okay, me. good. Well, no, BK, I thought you might. Ferrari, I don't know. Tanner could be a little young. I don't know. I'm older than so. BK. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, but yeah, but some some you missed something somewhere. Um, Look, man, just because I don't like the old television show Mash or like Star Wars doesn't mean I don't know what Mad Libs are. I agree with everything. Like hey, if you, you, st- you just said, if you if you still have not if you still have not watched the Thanksgiving Day episode of WKRP, then we're no longer friends. No, my father-in-law right, loves saying. it, and he tells me about it all the time. Yeah. So my dad liked Perfect. that show too. Uh, back, to, back to BK's uh, BK's question. Um, Let's see. What does it mean for the Blues? Well, it's going to mean some great things for the Blues because if he's playing at that level and getting those kind of numbers, I think to do that, BK, he's got to be in the top six, right? So if he's playing at that level in the top six, 
then you probably have either Braden Shen on the wing on the left side, right, or even Braden Shen, you know, playing on, on the third line and stuff. And then you are really deep now, one, two, three. Uh, or if Robert Thomas struggles, that gives Braden Shen and, and Hayes an opportunity to be in the one-two slot in terms of centermen. So what, what it, I, I guess another good word is a couple words to, to, your, to your mad lib there would be great options because – because if that is happening, then the Blues have some added depth to really work through scenarios, and that's nothing but a positive. So, Curbs, one more for me in referencing Matt DeFranks. He had another piece that we're going to talk about a little bit later, just talking about the superstar uh, quality that the Blues really haven't had in terms of 85 or more points since Pavel Dimitra. Kairou, of course, is one of those guys that could be there. Robert Thomas as well. The Blues have already always operated as that pack mentality. Do you think they have to break away from that mold to get to that next level? No, I don't think that they have to break away from that mold because I think what we've seen is, even with superstars, how important is the depth? You know, look at Colorado winning a cup, what Tampa did. You know, look at the depth of Vegas and how critical a guy like Ivan Barbashev proved to be for them, you know, last year. And, you know, maybe the most impactful and most important acquisition of any trade deadline acquisition uh, last season. So I think, I think that model is something that you still have to incorporate and you still have to keep as part of the culture. What really, though, has to happen is those top-end guys – just to have to produce in those top end minutes, you know. So it's it's not so much the model; it's just the continued growth of the player. And the reality of it is, guys, is while the Blues have had some really good offensive players, and in 2019, for example, they were a great sum of their parts. I don't know that they've had more of that high end, 80 point plus type skill on their team. Tarasenko should have been it, I think, a little bit more often. But, you know, not quite the same as, as having, like, a Capri Sov and a McKinnon and some of those other guys. And, and so if Thomas and Kairu, Butch Navich maybe, can get to some of that level, it's just another level of skill. But still that overall kind of team, you know, pack mentality, is, is, I, th- I think is a critical one to win in the National Hockey League. Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. Looking forward to seeing you out there for Blues and Brews next Friday night. We'll talk with you again next week, my man. Cheers, fellas. Have a great week. Take it easy. That's Chris Gerber, the voice of the Blues, joining us here on 101 ESPN. And by the way, you can join us out at Blues and Blues next Friday. Blues and Brews, excuse me, next Friday evening, September 22nd at the Anheuser-Busch Brewery. You'll get fired up for the Blues season at this outdoor street party. It includes appearances by Benner, Pareko, Shin, Thomas, Falk, Hayes, Baruby, and other Blues alumni. Plus, there will be food trucks along the way, 101 ESPN giveaways, and so much more. Tickets for Blues and Brews on sale right now. You can get all the details at 101ESPN.com. It is presented by Bud Light, 101 ESPN. And ninety two three WIL. It's gonna be a farty. Sure is, buddy. It sure is. If you don't is. know what that reference is, go listen to the podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers from yesterday. Coming up next, questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions, we may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 
T-Bone on BK 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's get to this from the 618. Guys, we've seen a few teams name new captains lately. Do you believe that the Blues are going to name their captain soon? No. Alex? If they were naming a captain, it would have already been done by now. Really? I think when they named Petro the captain, it was a month before the start of the preseason and training camp. I, I, I don't see how they name a captain this quick with a turnaround of next week starting. I would imagine it would have already been done by now. So, no, I mean, they're they're not the only team. Like, Anaheim still doesn't have a captain. I don't believe... Um, don't believe Buffalo has one. I don't know. Maybe they named Ocposo that one. There's like five or six teams still that don't have captains. So uh, the Blues are going to fall into that category. I don't agree with it, but no, I wouldn't expect a captain to be named but, uh, for this season. Uh, teams without a captain currently, according to Wikipedia, which can be reliable, but very reliable. Hold Anaheim, on, let me change Arizona, that. Boston, Calgary, Chicago, Philadelphia, Seattle, and St. Didn't Louis. Arizona name again? I am going based on Wikipedia. This could be wrong, but I'm telling you that the list that I have available in front of me, that is the number of teams that do not currently have a captain. Sounds about right. But yeah, no, you would have seen it by now. I kind of agree with that. That makes me sad. Makes me sad too. But if you're going to read anything into that, it's Robert Thomas will be your next captain. It's just giving him a couple of years. Yeah. I think that's the wrong way to go about it. I agree. I think Shen should be the captain until the end of his contract. And then Robert Thomas gets the captain soon. That's how I would do it. C stands for co-captains, and they're all co-captains this year. C stands for camaraderie, and that's what we're trying to build in this clubhouse. From the 636, guys, who is more likely to be an all-star in 2024, Mason Wynn or Nolan Gorman? We all agree it's Nolan Gorman, right? Nolan Gorman. (laughs) Yeah, he's got the power. It's really hard to make an all-star game when you're not batting. 110 yeah. miles an hour throwing from shortstop yeah. to first base ain't gonna put you at the all-star game. Yeah, yeah you're not gonna see a lot of that. Great shortstops there are on the game right now. It's just the, the likelihood is Mason Wynn never makes a sh- makes an all-star appearance, and that doesn't mean that he's a bad player. Yeah, yeah, and I and with Gorman, he's gonna have that like he could get super hot like we saw this year, and for like the first month and a half, you're going, holy crap, this guy could hit like 25 bombs by the all-star break, and people are gonna vote that into the into the all-star game instead of like oh wow mason went through a 110 mile an hour fastball to first i think walker makes not there an all-star game before mason win does yeah i don't think one makes an all-star game. i'm with you i think that's the expectation at this yeah point. uh from the 314 guys who do you think will and should win the national league cy young this year saw there was a piece earlier today on mlb.com saying justin Steele should be the new leader for the national league cy young he's officially your era leader in the national league he passed uh blake snell recently uh, J- justin Steele is at a 2.49 on the season blake snell at a 2.52 on the season guys who would you have as your national league cy young where's justin deal at in terms of innings they're basically the same they're, the same. they're, they're both at 160 innings with a essentially a 2.5 era yeah. now snell has done it with a much better strikeout rate but also a higher walk rate. but Steele has done it without basically walking anybody yeah. on the season I, I mean i personally would give it to blake snell um, if you've got the same amount of innings, if you're only slightly better ERA wise, I know he's walked the world, but that's why it's more impressive for me in terms of the best overall pitcher in the National League. If he's walking that amount of guys and still picking up all of those strikeouts and the ERA being low. So I would give it to Blake Snell. I think I would, too. I, I think Snell would be the guy for me. He's got this, the strikeouts. I know he walks more guys and doesn't cover a ton of innings, but. I think he's just been the best pitcher that I've seen this year pitch. And I we've seen Justin Steele a couple of times. I think Blake Snell's at a different level. I think so, too. Um, but the numbers certainly 
if you wanted to make a case for Justin Steele, it's not hard to do so. Let me put it that way. I think it's really close between those two guys. And it I mean, it's going to be determined down the stretch. The, the nice thing is you don't have to make your pick today. By the way, just one aside here. Do you guys know Kodai Senga has a third best ERA in the National League right now? I did not. I do now. He's got he's got walk issues too. Um, his his ERA as of today is a three oh five, and if the season were to end today, that would be the third best in the National League among all pitchers that have thrown at least one hundred and thirty innings. That is the closest comparison that people have been given to Imanaga, who's coming over from Japan this offseason. If you told me right now, screw a 3-1, I would take it, obviously. But if you told me right now that he could come in and next year have a sub-4 ERA, I would slot that guy in as my number two starter and be thrilled about paying him 15 to $20 million for the next few seasons. So that is an interesting comparison, to say the least. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. This one comes from the 636. Guys, I'm struggling with a couple of Pick'em Challenge games going into this weekend. I need your help. Would you choose the Bears or the Buccaneers? And then we'll get to their other game here in just a moment. Who do you think wins between the Bears and the Bucks? I think you'll find this interesting, Alex. Who do you, let me ask you this. Do you know who is favored in that game? It's I, at Tampa Bay. I would imagine Chicago's got to be favored in that game. I would think Tampa. Tampa is a three-point home win. favorite in that game. In other words, who would you choose? Um, I feel like that's a trap game. I'd go Chicago. I'm not sold on Tampa Bay. And I think Chicago and Justin Fields fixes their one too many. Let's just run the ball issue that they had this past week. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Chicago too. I don't really? believe in Baker Mayfield and yeah. the Bucks. I think that win Baker, was a fraudulent win. Baker from won Tampa. that game by the hair of his chinny chin chin. Like, come on, we can't act like that. Tampa dominated that performance. I'm worried about the Bears' defense. Like, forget the offensive side of things. What they did defensively against Green Bay was embarrassing, yeah. dude. And while Tampa Bay does not have a great offense, they've got enough weapons to be able to expose you. I mean. I don't think that the Packers had some great offense going into last week because half of their receivers were hurt going into that game. I think I'll take the Bucks, And I think the vast majority of people will be picking the Bears against the spread in that game. So I would take the Buccaneers in that one. The other one that they're curious about is another NFC South matchup. The Saints going up against the Panthers. It is in Carolina. The Saints are a three-point road favorite in Carolina going into next Monday night. I would, hammer, I would hammer that. The Saints are winning that game. I don't really? even think there's a question with that. Like, Carolina was fine, but that was a game that Carolina could have won with Atlanta. I think the Saints are better than Carolina. I think the Saints are pretty decent. Yeah. I, I was skeptical about him, too, because I didn't think Derek Carr was going to work well. And, man, he looked good. I was not that impressed with them offensively. I thought the, the defense. Yeah, I thought the defense looked great. Um, and I think their defense is going to be solid. That's why I, I think that they can beat Carolina. It's a rookie quarterback. I know the Saints are probably going to throw some looks at him that he hasn't seen yet. And I would say that they probably win it. I would take them to cover. But I think it would be lower scoring than some are expecting. Oh, for sure. I, I would definitely expect this to be a low scoring game. That's the thing about the Saints is, dude, they're just so good defensively. We don't think about them that way because I think we always just kind of put it together of, oh, the Sean Payton Saints. They've got a stuff. Their offense is fine. They don't really have a running game to speak of right now. Jamal Williams is their starter. They don't really have anybody behind him. And Jamal Williams is not an explosive runner by any stretch of the imagination. Good in short yardage situations. It's the old saying, right? You need three yards, he'll get you three. You need four yards, he'll get you three. That's who Jamal Williams is. Um, I do like their passing game, though. 
Olave's a stud. I think he is one of the most underrated players in the NFL right now. Shahid is a guy that I took in our fantasy draft because I think he's also underrated. The guy is blazing fast and he's starting to develop as a receiver. And Michael Thomas actually looked good for them. He did. I think it went under the radar because of how many storylines there were across the NFL. Michael Thomas played really well in week one for the Saints. So I'll take the Saints on the road at Carolina, not just to win, but to cover that spread as well. Another game that I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on. Indianapolis versus Houston going into this upcoming week. Trash Indy versus in trash. Houston. Two rookie level quarterbacks. Who would you take in that one? What's it's a one point. I was going to say, so it's in straight up pick them. Yeah. Vegas and where is it? It's in Houston. Vegas views uh, Indianapolis as a slight favorite given the line. One point on the road. I mean, since it's a pick em, I would just go with the home team. I'd pick Houston in that one. I'd pick Colts. I, I think the Colts were more impressive with the rookie QB and Richardson. I thought Richardson looked really good. Their defense was awesome. Uh, and their de- their defense was good against uh, the, the Jacksonville. Um, so I would say Indy. I, I think Indy wins that game. I was not impressed with C.J. Stroud in his first game. Sweep it. I like Indy as well. Um, you guys know I've been a, a huge fan all along of Anthony Richardson, and he did nothing to... Um, push any of that back last week. Coming up next, if you guys want to get involved in the show, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We were listening to a podcast yesterday, T-Bone and myself, and they were talking about how teams are asking less and less of major league starters. Has this reached a level that there's no going back from? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Baseball has changed right before our very eyes alongside Alex and Tebow and I'm BK. There's a lot of stuff that's changed. and I'm not just talking about the rules. I'm talking about pitching specifically. Alex, I know there's a lot of people on our text line that get frustrated and justifiably so about the five and dive idea, right? The idea that a pitcher is going to go out there and it is considered a good start if they give you five innings and give up two earned runs or fewer. Well, they're not alone in that regard. A lot of people across baseball are frustrated by that. And I'm looking at it right now. 2010, not that long ago, right? Think about what you were doing in your life in 2010. Feels like a while. It's not that long ago. Do you know how many pitchers threw 200 or more innings in the year 2010 in Major League Baseball? What would you guys guess is that number? How many uh, pitchers threw 200 plus innings in the year 2010? I'm going to go, I'll go 30. I would say there's probably two on a couple of teams and then all the bad teams probably didn't have it. So I'll go about 30. That was a lot more than I was going to say. I was going to say like 18 to 20. I'm glad you went lower. I say, Good Jesus. Lord, man. What? 30. How? It's like one for every team in Major League Baseball, yeah, man. Back in the good old days, some teams just have multiple guys. That did the answer it. was 27. Wait, wait a minute. I wasn't <laughs> I that know, far away. I know, but you went high, which makes my number feel low. It's play the game, man. Come on. You know how many understand the damn year? rules? He wanted us to say five. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Do you know how many pitchers did that last year? Two hundred. That's the lower number. <laughs> I want to say it was like three because I think I was it was Nola, Michael. this game. Alex, will you play this game with me? I think it was at least 12, BK. Thank you. It was seven. Seven pitchers last season. Well, once us to be to wrong so his numbers two, sound cooler. I'll just turn off my mic, okay? Good. This year, there are three starts left for most of uh, the major league starters. The only guys that are within 20 innings right now of getting to 200 on the season are Logan Webb, Zach Gallen, Garrett Cole, Sandy Alcantara, Framber Valdez. It's five starters. 
And it'd be tough for Framber Valdez to get there. He's got 181 innings on the season. The likelihood is we're going to get down to that three number that you just said of pitchers that are going to get to at least 200 innings on the season. So again, 13 years ago, we were at 27 pitchers throwing at least 200 innings. This year, we might get down to three. Yesterday, I was listening to the best podcast in baseball by Derek Gould over in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and he was talking to Gordon Whitmire, who covers the Cincinnati Reds now, previously covered the Chicago Cubs up in Chicago. Here's what they had to say about teams asking less of starters. It's frustrating because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It, yes. It's, it's a Steven Strasburg. You know, the, the Nationals can say, well, we held him out of that playoff series against the Cardinals because we were worried about his innings. And look at that. Look at the innings that we got the next year and everything like that. It's like, right. Like, I understand the thought yeah. process. I do. But the moment you say we are going to hold him out for his health, you have already established the fact that you can't be proven wrong. And that's what frustrates me most about it is because and I understand there are studies and everything like that. Um, it's but, it, but it's being hung on at that point in time. It's not being hung on the same kind of data sets that we have now. Not at all. No, it's being no. Hung, hung on somewhat of the presumption, almost theoretical uh, math at that point. The Nationals will never know if he pitched against the Cardinals in that playoff series, which the Cardinals won, what that Nationals team would have been like and how far it could have gone or how confident it could have been with their best pitcher in that series. As we have teams going, well, five innings is enough, then they start to rationalize that five innings is enough. As they start doing that and they start paying for five innings, then the market says, well, five innings cost this much. And it's telling players and pitchers and agents that five innings is enough. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. In our last segment, we talked about the National League Cy Young, and we brought up Kodai Senga, who's not going to get to like 170 innings on the season. We brought up uh, the name Blake Snell, who this year, like, he never gets through seven innings. Never. It doesn't happen. He's getting through six excellent innings and then getting out of the game as quickly as humanly possible because of how many pitches it takes him to get through those six innings, Alex. You look down in the minors. This is something that is going to get worse, not better. Do you know how many pitchers this season in AAA have thrown at least 150 innings? I'm not even asking a lot. 150 innings on the season. In AAA? AAA. One. It's been one starter. It's (laughs) Mitch Spence, who's 25 years old in the New York Yankees uh, organization. There are zero others in AAA this season that have thrown more than 140. We have a development issue for pitching in the pipeline. I mean, look at what the Cardinals are doing with Tink Hintz. And I'm not telling you that they're wrong for doing it. But the guy barely threw more than three innings prior to this season. And this year, it is like, uh, it's like looking at a lunar eclipse when he's able to get through five. I I don't know where this is headed, but I say this is somebody that likes the modern game. Like, I I enjoy watching the current state of baseball. I'm not somebody that's going to go out here and, like, yell at the clouds for how terrible baseball is today. I think the game's in a pretty good place for the most part. But this pitching thing, dude, it is already headed in, I believe, the wrong direction. I don't think there's any end in sight. We're going to see potentially Blake Snell win the Cy Young this year by pitching this way. We've seen Jacob DeGrom be in those conversations in the past pitching this way. You're getting rewarded for going five or six innings. We saw on Friday night, George Kirby go out there saying, hey, I shouldn't have been out there for the seventh. Why is that? Well, it's because he said the quiet part out loud. He thinks he did his job. 
And that's because he's been taught his entire career. Once you go through the order three times, once you get through six innings, you have done your job, and now it's time to hand it over to the bullpen. I don't know where this is headed, but I don't think it's headed in a right It's direction. headed to more George Kirby's. And to further Derek's point and to further your point, you're talking about the growth of these pitchers, but you're also implementing the standard in these young guys' minds that when they get to the majors, it's, oh, I got to go five innings. Yep. I go five innings, and then you guys do your job. It's not on me. You've got this false f- fulfilling prophecy that is, I did my job, you do yours, rather than what the team mentality was when you got one pitcher who goes out there and gives you eight and grinds through. That's the, uh, oh, he went out there to win it for the team. Now you're going to have more George, George Kirby's that come up through the system that say, you only get five from me, and that's all I'm providing you. Why? Because I know that the guys that pitch well leading up to their big contract get paid a ton of money. And I'm not going to take the chance of not getting 200 million plus because you want to throw me six or seven innings when you've got me on this rookie level contract. And I don't know the, the well being of a body and how the growth process works. But I would imagine when you're holding younger guys back that are in the prime of their, their body careers, if you're holding them back because you want to sustain that arm for the long period of time, that seems to me that it's going to hurt them in the long period because you're not putting the wear and tear and letting the body learn how to recover from that. So we're seeing what it's going to be. We literally just heard it from George Kirby the yesterday. And, and I, what I find so amazing about this is the fact of the matter, what you just said, is teams are getting so conservative what kids are doing in terms of their development down the minors. Tink Hintz is the perfect example of this, where it is so conservative and how much he can throw. And yet there's not a lot of signs that we've seen from the outside that show it is working to keep those guys healthy. Look at Alex Trey's. The Cardinals very careful with Alex Trey's development. He's never been healthy his whole career. And he, and the same could happen to Tink Hintz. Tink Hintz could hurt his arm in his next start and never be the same pitcher. And that whole conservative mindset just goes out the window. But teams have started to go about that, to your point, with the one guy hitting 150 innings at the AAA level, which is just insane to me that that is even where one guy is at. Um baseball's gotten too conservative in what it is in terms of the development of these pitchers. And I think it's going to lead, I think we're on the fringe of seeing it, an innings crisis across Major League Baseball. I mean, look at the San Francisco Giants, for example. They've been basically running for the, since the trade deadline a three-man rotation with bullpen days for the other two to fill out that spot. Every team that I hear about, like I was listening to that podcast again from Gordon Whitmire. He was talking about how the, the Cincinnati Reds don't have enough pitching. I'm hearing about how uh, you're talking about the Giants don't have enough pitching. The Braves are running into an issue right now about their innings. Like Teams across Major League Baseball are at a crisis point of not having enough innings to be able to cover things. And then they get to the end of the season. It's like, whoo, the, the Rays looking around. That's like, who I was going to say. Hey, who's going to start for us? Like, we're getting close to the postseason. And we don't have a rotation. And boys. they hold guys back to the point of the injuries pick up for them because they don't want to go over that innings limit. And then once they get closer to that, they trade that player away because they know that he's broken and they'll bring the next group in. And I know what I'm about to say might get laughed at by some people because like, amateur running and pitching in the major leagues is not the same. And I understand that. However, it's a reference point that I've got. So here we go. I'm a runner and I try to train for marathons, half marathons, et cetera. And I listen to a lot of uh, podcasts about it. I do a lot of research about it. And the best way, like when you simplify it as much as you possibly can, what is the best way for you to become a better runner? How do you get the best time possible when you're trying to train for like uh, qualifying for the Boston marathon, et cetera? It's to run more. Very simply, what is the best way for me to run a three-hour mi- three marathon? Run more. And yet, for Major League Baseball, the way that they are training their pitchers, throw less. It just doesn't make any sense, man. 
Like, just theoretically speaking, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I can understand it to a degree because you go into the individual game and you're like, okay, in the in the micro, if I'm just looking at a one-game sample size, does it make sense for me to leave my starter in longer? No. You get through the third time through the order, and we know there's a penalty at that point. Offense goes up. Pitching goes down. We need to get our bullpen into this spot. I get that completely. I really do. But then what we end up seeing is these arms are not trained to go deep into the season. So you get into September and October when you're at the, this is when stuff starts to really ramp up. The the rewards, the, the stakes are all higher. And the pitchers are at their weak point because now they've been throwing for the last six months and they have very little left. There's not a whole lot left in the arms. And so the offense starts to go back up once again. What if we trained them to actually throw deep into games, which helps them throw deeper into the season. And now you've got guys that can go out there and help you. I, I do feel like that will be rewarded. And I wonder if there's going to be a little bit of a, a pivot here. We talked earlier in the day about how in the NFL, there were fewer deep passes last year than ever before. What does that mean? Well, it means that a lot of teams are probably going to have to start going more with a running game. Now, that is counter to everything we know about NFL analytics. It all tells you throw, 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 throw. Well, what if the teams are playing too high safeties? What if the box numbers are different? Now it becomes a, hey, the smart thing is actually to run. The Chiefs have made that move. They've made that pivot. We're seeing the Atlanta Falcons, who are a heavy run team. I think they're going to be rewarded this season in part because of that. I do wonder if we go into this offseason and if you're a team that looks at it and you say, you know what we need? We need innings. We need starters that are actually able to go out there and take the ball every fifth days and go six plus for us. They can We can expect that out of them. I wonder what this means for Aaron Nola, man. I really do. As I'm thinking to myself what the Cardinals could look like next year, I've said all along, Alex, you're right there with me, I think. Aaron Nola is the guy okay. for you. He makes the most sense for you. If you can have a rotation that is hitting its stride in September next year instead of falling apart in September of next year, look at the Phillies last year, dude, with Aaron Nola as part of it. I do think you can be rewarded for that, but it's gonna you got to go at a, a little bit different. It's it's counterproductive to what a lot of these other teams are doing in Major League Baseball. And that's why I'm going to go get a guy who's used to throwing a lot of innings rather than somebody who, like Blake Snell, is all about that swing and miss stuff, and you're going to give you the best that you can through five innings so that you can do it. And look, that is a piece that I would love to have on my team, but I just think longevity works, which is why Aaron Nola was always the sexiest pick. His body knows how to adjust to this. It might not be pretty all the time, but you know for a fact that Aaron Nola can give you the amount of innings, the pitch count, and a full season workload that other guys just can't. Yeah, and I think that's why it's going to be fascinating to see what his market develops into because though it is easy to say like Blake Stell's going to have a big market because of the swing and miss stuff, a lot of teams are going to have the same thought process I think we're having too, like the San Francisco Giants. We could really use a guy that eats innings alongside Logan Webb. Or you look at the Chicago Cubs, man, we really don't have a guy that eats innings outside of Justin Steele, and, and we want to cut back Justin Steele's workload. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be interested in in Aaron Nola that could potentially drive up this market on the Cardinals. And I will say this, kind of my theory as to where baseball is going, I think 
baseball is heading towards six-man rotations. I mean, look at the minor leagues. The minor leagues are built on all six-man rotations. Why is it? Because they're playing six days and off on Sunday. So it's easy just to build a six-man rotation. I mean, we see this in Japan. That's how they do it. Yeah, and I think that's where I think that's where Major League Baseball is going. Like it or hate it, and I, and you're starting to see teams do that. Like the Baltimore Orioles are now doing that. But I guess my question would be: Does that incentivize teams to leave their starters in longer, or does it just add another person to the rotation? I think it just adds another person to the rotation. So what's the point? I think it cuts down innings for everybody. I, when you look at like starters, so instead of like the goal of like, hey, 190 to 200 is where we want the top end guy to be. 170 is where we're at now. 160 is where we're at now. And we then, to your point of guys are wearing down in in the most important part of the season, September. Now that arm isn't as tired because that arm hasn't hit the threshold it's at currently. It would be you know two starts, three starts behind that because you're at a six man rotation. I think that is where baseball is starting to head in that direction. And that's why you're seeing more teams push towards six man rotations if you have enough arms. But there's the other issue is there's not enough arms in all of Major League Baseball to build. 36-man rotations. Yeah, I just, I, I think that we are at a pitching deficit. Another thing they talked about on that podcast, it's well worth your time, by the way. Check it out. It's called The Best Podcast in Baseball. It's from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. They were talking about how, like, there's just not enough pitchers to go around because you need so many of them to get through a Major League Baseball season now. I mean, you think about the Cardinals this year. Think about how many pitchers that have appeared in a game this season for the Cardinals. And they've actually been pretty lucky for the most part when it comes to injury luck. I mean, this has been the case for a few years now where the Cardinals have, I think, done a pretty good job of keeping guys mostly healthy. Now, we can point to a few that it has not gone well for, specifically with Steven Matz. But there's other teams, man. Like, I saw the stat previously on the Brewers on how many pitchers they've used this year. It's crazy the number of guys that will appear in a Major League Baseball game for any given team over the course of the season. So, it's headed for a point of no return. And I do wonder if there's a way to zig while everybody else is zagging going into this offseason. Can the Cardinals accumulate? Like, can they go out there and get Aaron Nola? And maybe it's a Shota Imanaga who comes over and throws 160 innings. And you go into next year and you're saying, okay, we're going to have Miles Michaelis who projects for 180. We're going to have Aaron Nola who projects for close to 200. We're going to get Shota Imanaga who's 150 plus, And hopefully Steven Matz is able to get there for us as well. I can't imagine there's a whole lot of rotations in Major League Baseball this season that have four guys that are going to throw at least 150 innings. And that's what the Cardinals in that scenario could be projecting for 2024. Coming up next, you give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service tax line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely guys more likely to make an all-star game next year. Jordan Walker or Lars Newbar. Jordan Walker. It's because I want to see Lars Newbar just make BK upset. I think it is Jordan Walker though. I think you get a second year for Jordan Walker underneath him. I think the defense improves. I think the offense continues what he's been doing. You learn a little bit from what this season was. I think Jordan Walker's an all-star. I I actually think it might be Newt. Um, not so much performance on the field, but I think Newt became kind of a national, I don't want to say superstar, but a national 
figure with his performance at the WBC. Everybody started to kind of know Nupar's name because it was, oh, who's on Team Japan? It's Shohei Otani and Lars Nupar. And Jordan Walker does have like prospect status and was one of the top prospects in all baseball. So he kind of has that too. But I could see where with Nupar's energy, people kind of recognize the name and then kind of vote him into an all-star game. Going nude as well. Surprise, surprise. Who could have seen that one coming? I think I think we've underestimated how good of a season Lars Newbar has had this season because he got hurt. If Lars Newbar played the full year, we'd be talking about him as a borderline all-star type of a player right now. If you look at wins above replacement, which I know a lot of people hate, totally fair. I get it. It is not or a foolproof stat. What's it good, good for? for? Absolutely nothing. He's tied right now with Paul Goldschmidt for the lead on the Cardinals, and he's played... 40 fewer games than Paul Goldschmidt this season. If you just want to go by OPS, the only player on the team with a better OPS this season, Van Lars Newbar, is Richie Palacios. Oh, love that guy. He's been great. And Richie he plays Palacios really high-level defense in the outfield as well. He can play center for you if you need him to. He can play right field at a borderline gold glove level. He's playing in left field more often than not. Lars Newbar, I think, is going to be a all-star candidate in 2024. Alex, what do you got for us? More likely to happen, boys. Scott Perunovich plays more than 50 games this season for the Blues, or Jake Neighbors plays more games than Brandon Saad? Um, I, I guess I'm going with Jake Neighbors plays more than Brandon Saad. I don't know that I believe it, but I definitely don't believe that Perunovich is playing. What was the number of 50 games? games. 50 games. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that one. I'm with BK. I. It's not so much that I saying that Pernich will be hurt, but it's more so I just don't know where his playing time comes when Karuga's healthy. So I would definitely say more likely Neighbors plays more games than Brandon Sock. This is going to get blown back in my face just like Logan Brown did, but I am all aboard the Scott Perunovich hype train right now. Really? I really think I was talking with JR a couple of days ago and him just talking with Perunovich in the offseason and now that he's here for... Well, you uh, heard Kerb say he's in the best shape of his life. Uh, we yeah. hear that for a lot of guys. I, I do believe, though, that this opportunity for Scott Perunovich is going to click something for him and all of this is pending health and if he doesn't have to deal with these injuries and he's just not this fragile player that we've seen over the last couple of years I think Scott Perunovich becomes an everyday top four defenseman for the Blues after this season more likely to win this Saturday the Missouri Tigers or the Fighting Illini two teams that are hosting top 25 teams you go first who's Illinois play Penn State yeah (laughs) I mean, I don't think either team's likely to win. But if I said who's more likely to do it. I mean, just based on the Vegas lines, it's not close. I would say more likely Illinois. Illinois is a 14 and a half point underdog. Well, that's going Put down your money significantly. Where your mouth is. All right. Did you say that's going down significantly? Yeah, it was at 16 earlier oh, in the week. Oh, jeez. Two uh, is significant for you these days, huh? five point underdog. Yeah, that's a bunch of BS right there. <laughs> Let me tell you. Did be you see Illinois' quarterback this past well. weekend? And, well, I don't blame Altmaier. It, it was the same thing with Brady Cook. Yeah, no O-line that could protect him. And I think the D-line's been Brady Cook's problem is the, the coach. I mean, again, I don't think either's likely. Altmaier's the talent. I think the line on the K-State game is ridiculous. So here's the thing. When Mizzou loses, it's typically pretty close. Now, I, I want to clarify here. The K-State game last year yeah, is the I'll outlier. i say that was so, close. Like, if you're going one-to-one, I get why you would say this one's going to be a blowout potentially. But... They lose last year at Auburn by three. They lose against Georgia. We all remember that game at home by four. They lost to Florida by seven. They lost to Kentucky by four. The only real outlier here was Tennessee and K-State last season in terms of really bad losses for Mizzou. The year prior, Kentucky by seven, Boston College by seven, um, and you ended up losing to Army by three in the infamous Armed Forces Bowl. 
they lose close more often than not. Illinois and that's doesn't. because of the way that they play. They play a lot like Illinois, honestly. You know, Illinois that, should have beaten Michigan. They're going to run year. the hell out of the football. They're going to grind this thing out. They play pretty good defense. And K State plays the exact same way. So I think it's going to be close in that game. I, I know last week was really ugly for Mizzou, and I gave my thoughts on that game yesterday. If you want to check them out, I think it's much more likely that Mizzou wins this weekend. I would not be surprised if Mizzou beats K State, despite what we saw last weekend. And I know how crazy that feels right now, but college football is a week-to-week game. Texas struggled against Rice and then beat Alabama. Mizzou could absolutely struggle against Middle Tennessee and then beat Kansas State, as crazy as that sounds right now. I think it would be a shock, a genuine shock if Illinois won this weekend. I'm kind of with him on that one. I, I'm not buying Mizzou winning, but like I didn't think Mizzou would even be close with Georgia last year and look at what they did, and I think they've got a better defense than what they had last year. So I'll give this one to Mizzou and say it's more likely. Yeah, I I would probably side with you guys just because I think for Illinois to have success, they've got to run the ball, and they've really struggled to do that in the first two games. But I want to reiterate this. I think Kansas State, will, if they win, they will blow out Missouri more than Penn State will Illinois. Okay. We're just on different sides of that one, and we think you are Don't wrong. Don't know why you hate the state of Missouri, Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air covered service text line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more C-O-U. likely. Let's start out with this. From the 314, guys, more likely to make the playoffs this year, the Jets or the Giants? Jets. <laughs> Giants don't have a shot, man. I'm saying Giants because the conference sucks. Yeah. That's my whole reasoning because the Jets, if the Jets were in the NFC, they might be able to get in. Agreed. They're in the I, AFC. I just, I think the Giants are awful. And I, I mean, they're bad, but look at the whole playoff field. The, the Giants NFC. are the same team that they were last year. Yeah. Though. Like there's there's very little that has yeah, changed. For if them. when they have Waller that's healthy, I think he's a true target for Daniel Jones. I'll say the Jets in this circumstance because I still think the Jets can get one of those wild card spots. I I'm not sure the Giants can, and I know the NFC sucks, but I mean, Green Bay changed my opinion on them a little bit from this past week. I think you've got two teams um, in the NFC South right now. I, I do. Yeah, the um, or oh, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong division. No, I'm not not NFC South. Um, the Lions East North North. North. Divisions are awful for One me. One day that. you'll learn about we the NFL. Get every, every division before we I, got there. I, we eventually no, we got didn't say there. the West. I knew the West. I had the West one down. I think you've got two in the West. I think you've got two in the North. I think you've got one in the South, and I don't think the Giants get in. I'm going Giants because of the because of the conference. Yeah, I I, agree. It's just going to be so incredibly hard for the Jets to get in. And I, like I, They've got a difficult division. It's going to be hard for them to pick up wins in that division, despite what happened, I know, on Monday Night Football. I, I think they're... They're about to f- suffer the same fate this week that the Giants did last week. They've got the Cowboys, and they're on the road. Oh, yeah. Somebody said that. Good like, luck, dude. Someone said the numbers show that Zach Wilson is going to be sacked by Micah Parsons like seven and a half times this oh, week. One of the high- I, last week, only won my fantasy matchup because of the Dallas Cowboys defense and special same. teams. I expect the same to be true this week. It's I impossible to predict defense and special yeah. teams. It's really hard to project. The projections can't get a high enough score for the Cowboys against the Jets. Yeah. Lost because of that. More likely to happen. One the up. Bengals or the Chiefs start this season 0-2. This one comes from the 6-1-8. Who the Bengals got this week is another. The Bengals this week have the. The Chiefs got Jacksonville. Yeah. Ravens. That's right. I know somebody that was pretty good. They're both three-point favorites. The Bengals are a three, three-and-a-half-point favorite at home against the Ravens. Chiefs a three-point favorite on the road against the Jags. I, By the way, Chris Jones reported today he's going to play this weekend, and the expectation is Travis Kelsey will be back. I uh, I don't think either of these teams are going to start off 0-2, but if I had to pick one, it would be Cincinnati. 
because I could see the Ravens get Mark Andrews back, even though they're dealing with injuries, come back and get a little more energy from what their second half was compared to their first half. I don't see how the Chiefs lose this week. I say more likely that the Bengals start 0-2 because the Chiefs are getting their pieces back. They're getting Jones back. They're getting healthy with Travis Kelsey. I, think that's a big one. I don't think the wide receivers will have as bad a game. I don't think Tony's dropping five passes or whatever it was. Um, for the Bengals, like, again, I don't read too much into their performance, but they were bad and they were healthy. So that's a little alarming, and that's why I would say I I believe in Baltimore still. I would take the Baltimore Ravens over them. I think both teams win, but if I was to pick one, I'm with you guys. I think it is uh, the Bengals are more likely to start 0-2 because I I think Baltimore is going to be good this year. It was a weird week one. They didn't play particularly well offensively, and I do wonder what's going to happen with their running game. Not having J.K. Dobbins is a really big deal, man. That guy is super important to what they're doing offensively. Gus Edwards and Justice Hill just aren't the same players as he was. So I'll be curious to see what that means, but... If there was one guy that impressed me from this rookie class over the weekend, it was Zay Flowers. Yeah. Did you guys watch that kid? Mm-hmm. He was awesome. I, I said uh, on Monday, I said, I think the Ravens finally got that explosive wide receiver they've been looking for. That dude is a stud. He looked different. And sometimes you can just see it when the ball gets into a guy's hands. You're like, oh, okay, that guy's a different level of athleticism. That was Zay Flowers for the Ravens over this weekend. So I think the Ravens have a much better chance to win than the Jaguars. Coming up next... Do the Blues have a player that can fit into that superstar criteria? And if not, how do they get one? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. on BK. So the, do the Blues have a player who fits into that superstar criteria? I think the answer right now is no. They used to have one. I think Alex Petrangelo was that guy. You could argue Ryan O'Reilly, although I think he was closer to the star caliber player than a superstar. Maybe Vladdy when he was on the cover of an NHL video game. I think you can make a pretty strong argument. That guy was a superstar. Alex, as we looked back in uh, over the years earlier today, among NHL Stanley Cup winners in the last really 15 years or so, basically every single one of them had at least one superstar on their roster. I don't think the Blues have that right now. Do they have somebody that can develop into that in your mind? I think they've got three guys that could, and Kyrou Thomas and Buchnevich are those three. I think those three guys all have the superstar caliber in them, but all three have obvious plot holes is what's holding them back. Booch is his injury history. If he's not injured, we're probably talking about a guy who surpassed that 85-point mark that hasn't been touched since Pavel Dimitra. Um, Kairou's got his defense problems, and frankly, Robert Thomas has the consistent offensive problems. All three have the ability to do that, but I don't know if they have the sustainability to keep it, and that's the biggest question mark right now for this Blues team. Frankly, they've got the ability that we haven't seen since Vladimir Tarasenko in the early portion of his career and prior to him on the offensive side. Maybe you could argue Jaden Schwartz or David Perron, but you got to go back to like the Pavel Dimitra era. Yeah, I, I think Cairo can be the guy that could get there. I think Booch is another good one, but he would have, you're right, he has to stay healthy. But Cairo's the guy for me. When I think superstars, I think goal scorers. And he is a Pure goal scorer. 37 goals last year and 73 points, though a minus 38. And that's to your point on the defensive side of things. If he takes steps defensively, shows signs of improvement there, and can get to like just average or slightly below average defensively, and you got a guy that can just take that slight increase in his goal scoring production, 
and add on more assists as well with Buchnevich being on his wing as uh, across from him. I think Kairou's the guy. I think Kairou's the guy, and I think he has the sustainability because I think he's got pure goal st- scoring ability. I think Kairou, Kairou has to be a 90 or more point player to have that label because of his defensive issues. Some guys don't need it. Like Robert Thomas, if his defense approves, Pavel Buchnevich, if you're an 85-point player, I think you're at that conversation with him. Here's the interesting fact, though. Maybe not a fact. My opinion. Pavel Buchnevich is the only one that can do it by himself because I don't think Thomas and Kairou can do it without each other. Can and you, that's the difference between superstar players for me. Can you win a Stanley Cup nowadays without a superstar? I say no. I think you can, but you have to be elite on the defensive side. Who's done it? Who would you point to that you would say, like, in recent memory, this is the team that did it without a legitimate superstar on the roster? Other than the Blues? You got like recently within the I don't last. Think, I don't think years. you can name that because everybody's had superstar caliber players, but they've also had that elite defensive side or elite goaltending that plays into it, which you got to have to win a Stanley sure, Cup. There's and Curbs is right what he said earlier. Like you got to have depth. Like Colorado doesn't win the Cup that year unless they don't have that fourth line. But you've got to go back to the early 2010s to find a team that has done it like as a committee without a superstar caliber player. And when I'm talking superstar caliber player, I'm talking a hundred or more points, like those types of guys. Yeah, and I think that's where I would be, is I think you have to have a superstar caliber player that is going to be the guy that you can turn to, like Colorado, for example, when they won the Cup. Yeah, the fourth line was great, but McKinnon was awesome for them in that playoff run. And sure, they have Kale McCarr. He was great, too. And I think he's a superstar caliber player. So I, I think you have to have a superstar. I think when you look at it more from the landscape, as we've gotten, what, four years, five years away from that 19 Cup run team, I think you're now looking at it as that was kind of the outlier to the rest of the NHL where it was, okay, that team at least had somebody that was a superstar that you can point to and say that was the guy that was the superstar goal scorer or points points guy for that team. And the Blues, and I'm not saying they're in the wrong by doing this, but they continue to run on the pack mentality, and they really need somebody to take off and become that superstar. Someone just texted and said the Vegas Golden Knights just did it. No, they had Jack Eichel, who is a superstar. They had... Mark Stone, who, in my opinion, is a superstar, and they had Alex Petrangelo, who is a superstar. So, no, they did not just do it as a group. The thing about it is... The Vegas Golden Knights chase every superstar that is available. They are the legitimate only superstar team. They're the Lakers of the NHL. Like, just if you're a talented player, you're on our roster. If the Blues wouldn't have broken up that core, I think we would have been talking about teams copycatting St. Louis in terms of not spending the high dollar on the superstar player See, to I, build the core. I disagree. I would go the other way on this. I, I think that what we saw with the Blues is that it is so hard to build that way, man. That is the difficult way to approach this. And I think we're seeing this in Major League Baseball as well. The, the hardest thing to do is to build a core of like sustainable, everybody is above average, both in terms of your pitching staff and your offense. That is so hard to do because eventually guys want to get paid, man. And so eventually you get into a place where if you're the Cubs or the Royals or these teams that we've seen build it that way, got to tear it down. You got to go back into the rebuild mode. Got to try to do this again. Got to find something new. If you got superstars that can prop everything else up, look at the Dodgers this year. They got a couple of superstars and then they're piecing things together around him. You can do that same thing to a degree, at least in the NHL. If you are the Colorado Avalanche, think about the core that has really been there over the last three seasons. They have built around like, Four or five guys, and everybody else is replaceable. Everybody, including the goalie, the back three in terms of your defensive core. Like, they rebuilt their third and fourth lines 
on the fly on the route to a Stanley Cup win. That That is where I believe this is actually not only the easier way, but probably the right way to try to build this thing. Now, if you don't have a top pick, it's really hard to get those guys. Or if you're not, you know, Vegas or Toronto, where people want to go play, where it's a legitimate, like, destination spot, it's really hard to go sign those guys as well. So I understand that you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place sometimes, but... I look at this, man. Vegas had Eichel and Petro, Colorado, McKinnon, McCarr. And you can go further with some of these lists, but just as a starting point, Tampa, Point, McKinnon, Kucherov, Washington had Ovechkin, uh, Pitts, w- Pittsburgh with Crosby, Chicago, Kane and Taves, uh, the Kings, Kopitar, Dowdy, Boston, Bergeron, Chara. Again, you could name more players that are on these teams that are qualified as superstars. That's just the beginning of the list. I think for the Blues to get back to competing at a championship caliber level, You have to have one of those three that you mentioned, Alex. Take that step. They have to become legitimate superstar players. And that list that I just gave you, it's a lot of very different stylistic players. Some of those guys are 40 goal scorers. Others are, hey, like Bergeron. He was a stud because he's good offensively. But really, he was known for being a shutdown centerman. You you were not going to be able to go up against him and put up big time points. Chara, he's going to eat 25 to 30 minutes a night defensively for you. You can go about it in different ways, but whatever it is that you win with, you got to be one of the best at that. And the Blues have players that are capable of it with Thomas distributing, Kairou goal scoring, and Buchnevich as a two-way player. They just have to take that next step into superstardom in those respective areas. Yeah, and I think you have to have multiple of those players. I mean, look at the teams that just have individual superstars like Minnesota. Everybody loves Kaprizov, but I mean, Minnesota really hasn't done much with Kaprizov. Buffalo, everybody is hyped about Buffalo right now. Tage Thompson is their superstar. They've got other guys, but not to the level that that Tage Thompson is at. They're building it with Rasmus Dahlin, but that's why the Blues are in an interesting spot right now because it's not just Kairou and Thomas and Buchnevich as those three right now. You're hoping that you strike gold with either Bolduc or Dvorsky in the next three to five years of being that superstar talented player. That's how you continue it, and frankly, right now, I think the Blues are still hoping that one of those guys can grasp that. Who do you think is most likely to become it? I think it's Thomas. I think Thomas is because I think Kairou has to be a 9,500 point player to get to that level because of the defensive. If his defense fixes, I think we're talking different here. Robert Thomas has the ability to score a hundred points and also be a good two way centerman for the blues. I, I still believe it's Kairou. I, I think Cairo can get to that point. I mean, he's just a pure goal scorer. When I see him, you take a little bit of an increase there in terms of his defensive prowess. And again, he doesn't have to be like, uh, who we just said from the Bruins. Um, who was that? Chara. Chara. No, Berger- oh, Bergeron. Oh, Bergeron, sorry. He doesn't have to be Bergeron defensively, but can he be, like, average? And if he can you be— got to be Pasternak, and Pasternak's putting up 100 points in a season. Yeah. and I think he could. I think he could. I think he has the goal-scoring ability. Now, he still needs to work on, like, a slap shot that he can bring to a power play because that's where you Bergeron, one-timer. perfect example. Yeah. He's got that one-timer that's a difference-maker. But I think Kairou, I think he can get there. It's just going to take that— that work ethic to get to that point defensively and improve on certain areas. But I think he's got the goal scoring capability to do it. There are only 15 guys since 2015 that have multiple 40 goal seasons. Ovechkin, Matthews, Dreisaitl, McDavid, Pasternak, Kachuk, Robertson. Jason Robertson already doing this in just a couple of seasons. That's the hope for Amazing. Jordan Cairo. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov, Sam Coast, Point, McKinnon, Gunsel, Debrinkit, Kucherov, Kane. Are there any players that I just mentioned that you would not consider to be a superstar, Alex? 
like I wouldn't consider Debrinket now, but at the time Debrinket was. But yeah. no, everybody else that you just mentioned are all considered superstars. That's why I think that it's probably Kyra, because I think he's the guy that can get to that place. Like it should, I don't think it would surprise anybody, any of us in this room, if he gets to forty goals this year, right? No, I think he could do that easily. Yeah. And if he gets to it this year, I think he's going to get to it at some point in the next eight years. So I, I think for me, he would be the one that is most likely to become a superstar in that label because I think it's hard to be a superstar in the way that Buchnevich wins. And this is why I think it's important and why the Blues are in a good position if he gets there because if he gets there, Thomas is there also. Kairou doesn't become a superstar unless Robert Thomas is with him because I don't think Kairou can put up those numbers unless he's got a good distributor and that's why Robert Thomas could be... The, it's. I mean, we talked about it in the office. It's the Sedin comps. I mean, you've got... Daniel, who was the 100-point player, but Henrik was the one distributing and picking up 75 assists in the season. If Kyra's going to hit 95, 100 points or 45 goals, Thomas is picking up 50, 60, 70 assists, and we're talking about a duo. Hulling outs. Or Kane and Taves, like whatever the the duo is, that's what you have to build around. And and they they probably have to be on the same lines. Stamkos Kucherov, it's the McKinnon and Rantanen. I mean, that's what teams have built. It's rare that you... Marner and, as we talked about yesterday, Matthews. (laughs) uh, Backstrom and Ovechkin. Like, Latang or uh, not Latang Malkin and Crosby. Latang and and Crosby being on the same line would be wild. They should try that next year. I mean, technically they are. These guys aren't (laughs) defensemen, if you know what I mean. They're more offensive guys. But, I mean, you got to go back to, like, the early 2010s to find teams that didn't have that dynamic one-two punch. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. From you, I need help from the audience. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service X line. Alex, as you know, I went on a bachelor party a couple of weekends ago over the Labor Day weekend. We went out to uh, Smoky Mountains about an hour south of Knoxville, just to give people a context of where we were at. We get there. We're having a good time. It's Friday. We get out there Thursday night. We're there all day Friday. And then Saturday morning, we wake up and the best man says, "Uh oh, guys, I messed up. So what happened? So, well... I didn't realize that I actually did not book this place for Sunday night. This was only booked through Sunday, so we got to get out of here tomorrow morning. And we were supposed to be staying. It was Labor Day weekend. Staying through Monday morning was our expectation previously. So you know what? Don't worry about it. We'll find a place in Nashville. We'll just chop the, the drive home in half. We'll stay one night in Nashville, have a good time out there, and head home on Monday morning from Nashville. No harm, no foul. So we found a, a place that we could stay. In Nashville for Sunday, we left uh, the Smoky Mountain Sunday morning. First of all, you were way nicer than I would have been in that situation. Yeah, what? Well, at that point, it's some cost. Like, what are what are we gonna do? Be upset about the fact that we don't have it anymore? You're just an angry We can either bitch and moan, general. or we can go to Nashville I, I and have will, a good night. I will Nashville. bitch and moan. Yeah, I will be pissed. Uh, none of us were unhappy. We had a good time out there. This is probably why I don't get invited places. <laughs> yeah. We ended up having a great time in Nashville. So we get there and we're staying in this place. It's really nice, man. It's an old spot. Um, a former musician lived out there. Uh, it's on Music Row. So we're like right by Broadway, about a mile away. 
great location, good spot. It is a little bit older though, because it's in an older neighborhood. And we noticed right away, a couple of things weren't ideal. For example, the third floor where most of the beds were, because we had a big group with us. Uh, it was about 85 degrees when we walked through the door. So it wasn't we, even 85 degrees outside, was yeah. it? Yeah, we, we made them aware of that. We'd let them know, and they said, hey, there's a fan downstairs if you guys want to bring that up. Oh, we said, okay, okay fine, this cool. Is, this is bed bug central. So we get that taken care of. We end up uh, going out for the evening and get back later on. It's 95 degrees to think up back. It was a little cooler, still hot, probably 75, 80, something around there. But whatever, at this oh. point, we've all been out on Broadway all, the, all evening. No harm, no foul. At some point in the middle of the night, somebody goes to the restroom and uh, it gets clogged, right? So the rest, the, the bathroom is clogged. We're barely at this Airbnb. This I want to make that go to very the gas clear. station and go to the bathroom. <laughs> it's an old house. Come it's got old plumbing literally next to the toilet by the handle. You it ever says, heard of a courtesy flush? It says hold down to make sure that <laughs> it flushes <laughs> all the way. It's like, all right, <laughs> it's an old place, right? Yikes. The reason I bring that up is because we leave and I let the lady know who's in charge of this house. Hey, just a heads up. We did have one issue on top of the air conditioning. Bathroom upstairs is clogged. Tried plunging it. Didn't work. So wanted to give you a heads up on our way out. Thanks so much for everything, right? So we leave. We get back. I don't think anything of it. It's like Thursday of the next week. I get a message from the service that we use to book this house, Alex. Now this is when you'd be pissed. I'm already angry, so it's hard to make me even angrier. <laughs> the owners of this house are charging me for their plumbing issues. $350. I don't blame them. Why'd you clog the toilet? Yeah. Brandon. So this is where it gets interesting. Don't, don't drop say, a massive deuce and you don't have to pay $300. Our guest Brandon notified me that toilets on the second floor, not toilets, toilet, just one were clogged after his one night stay. I asked him if he tried to unclog the toilet. He said yes, according to his text message that I have attached to this. The cleaning crew came in. They attempted to clear the blockage and were unsuccessful. Then plumbers came by and determined in five minutes that a bar of soap was stuffed in the toilet pipes deep enough to clog the toilets on both sides of this pipe. See the service dispatch video and review in order to show this happening so i'm being charged 350 dollars for a bar of soap falling into their toilet which almost certainly happened prior to us arriving because none of us had a bar of soap who uses a bar of soap in the year well, 2023 soaps in the like bathroom already I, I don't think so none of us took a shower while we were there dude we went out on broadway and we wanted to get our, our butts home as quickly as possible well, obviously not your butt clogged the toilet <laughs> maybe they thought it was a bar of soap so i declined i said oh, i'm not paying for this thing and i sent our version of the story what am I supposed to do here? Like, if they end up charging me for the... How, first of all, how could they possibly prove that it was us that had the bar of soap? Because it wasn't. Well, but even it if wasn't I can clogged see before that... The, the, before you guys got there, and then when it was clogged oh. when you left... I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just saying that's their... This is more of the he said, she said situation now. And, like, you're, you're in a bad spot because they're claiming you did it. You obviously were there and the toilet clogged. And now there's evidence of you claiming that the toilet was clogged. So it's like, oh, okay. Can you dispute it with Airbnb or wherever you I booked did. it? That's what I did. This is why and I stayed in hotels. Waiting. I mean, I it's been at, a week and a half. I've been yeah. waiting for. I think you're SOL. What happens if you don't pay it? I don't know. <laughs> I legitimately don't. I, they have my card on I was file. Say, so they I'm assuming got to charge me. You could dispute the charge if they charge but you. But that's what I'm doing. I'm disputing it right now and I'm waiting on them to return. I. 
I am furious, dude, because we didn't do this. Like, I know for a fact and there once were only again, two people that used this restroom because everybody else was upstairs dying of heat exhaustion. And you're, and you're sure nobody was, you know, enjoying themselves on Broadway and they forgot that they the bar of soap into the toilet and dropped a deuce yes, on it and flushed. I'm positive. Somebody could be lying to you, man. No. Once again, this is why I'd be pissed off when I got and kicked out of my Airbnb. I'm furious about this, dude. <laughs> and it's not great that I heard the story that if someone really tore their pec muscle at the same house. Well, that was at a different house. Oh, oh okay. Well, now I feel better. <laughs> and what? that guy was gone. Oh, okay. Oh, did I not tell you about no. that? No. Okay, so while we were what at the What happens air- on your bachelor parties? <laughs> hey, man. Jeez. This, this is why we don't invite you. Weird stuff happens. Tell me about um, it. Bar of soaps are going into the toilet? Yeah, while we were in the Smoky Mountains, one of the guys, I, I think, fell down the stairs and tried to catch himself. And as he tried to catch himself, he tore his bicep. But he's he's claiming that he tore it as he was trying to get up into the bunk. Yeah, likely story, <laughs> yeah, sir. I've heard that one before. He left after one day. This is why this is why I just use hotels because if I clog the toilet, sorry. Somebody said same thing happened to us while I was at the Ozarks. The owner claimed that we dented their garage door. We opened it. It didn't close until after we left. They charged us three hundred dollars. Sent us the pick of the dent. It was at the top of the garage door. Impossible that we did it. My friend didn't fight it, so we just ended up paying it. I'm fighting it. You fight, yeah, you fight that, yes, dude. You fight that. I'm fighting the power. I, I still believe. I could not believe that this yeah, happened. Take it dude. to the man. I still believe somebody just didn't realize that they elbowed a bar of soap in the toilet, and then it like was they just flushed it. Yeah, I'm kind of with Alex. I you know, like to... you don't just like what do you like? Two people used it, so they knew that the toilet worked. Well, th- that's what I'm saying. It worked until we flushed it for literally the first time, and it wasn't even like a. I could see it because obviously we're getting ready to leave. We're trying to plunge it. This isn't like this massive dookie that was laid in also, the bathroom. How does it's like little little rabbit pebbles and so how does was able to clog How it? does a bar of soap clog exactly. a toilet? Because standing water would disincinerate that bar of soap. That's what I'm saying. But, but it did would you take watch a the, while for that to happen. But did you watch the video? Like, did they show the bar no. of soap that they pulled out of the toilet? No. Oh, yeah. I'd, it just I'd be, shows, I'd be you know, fighting the, this. The, the little tool that they use yeah, the to try to block it. Apparently there was soap scum that was on it, and that's their claim. That oh yeah, we ended up, I, oh, I was furious. Bleep I'm, that! I would not. I would never pay that and be like, no, you show me the bar of soap that was stuck in the toilet that clogged it. Somebody said I need to go on one of those kangaroo court TV shows. I'm about to, man. If yeah. this thing goes through, oh, I'm wait. taking this all the way to Supreme Court. Take it to Judge Judy. <laughs> this is why I always carry She'll a toilet snake in backseat of my car. Ever issues? Wait, do you really have? One? I've got a history of do clogging really? toilets. I do actually. I carry certain things in the back seat of my car just in case. Coming up I can't next. I rode to Nashville with this guy. <laughs> you didn't smell it? Alex Animal. is ready for any situation, and so is Richie Palacios. That's why I want him to be the fourth outfielder Clogging next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Two pitch. Is it high in the air to right field? Santander going back at the wall. It's gone. Palacios has hit a homer. And pitch. Is it high in the air? Deep again. Richie. Richie. Richie has another one. The best accomplishment of my career. I've never had a two home run game. I don't think ever. So I think this is a great time to have it for sure. That's what it sounded like last night on Bally Sports Midwest as Richie Palacios really is the reason why Adam Wainwright got to win number 199 alongside Alex and T-Bone. I'm BK. Alex, I got to be telling I got to be honest with you. I'm falling for Richie Palacios. 
he is a guy that I've really enjoyed watching since his uh, since he arrived here in St. Louis. He's been productive offensively. He's been very good defensively for you. And he seems like he is ready at any given time to go out there and give you a quality at bad. Yesterday, he wasn't expected to go out there. And then Nolan Gorman has a hamstring injury midway through that thing. Richie Palacios Palacios goes out there and helps you win the game. I think he is exactly what the Cardinals have needed in a fourth outfielder. Quality hitter, goes out there, gives you a major league caliber at bat. No, by the way, he's a left-handed hitter as well. The guy's only 26 years old. He had legitimate prospect status at one point in his career. Alex, is he playing his way into the Cardinals' plans for 2024 in your mind? I don't even think he's playing. He should be in their plans for 2024. You spent 2023 convincing yourself that Taylor Motter was a good piece to have for your roster, and you kept bringing him up and sending him down and bringing him back. Well, Taylor Motter did fine when he was here, but Richie Palacios is doing more than fine for you. I mean, he's hitting 317. He's got a 934 OPS. He's showcasing power. He's giving you really good defense in areas that you need. Why wouldn't you sit here and say on September 13th, guys, Richie Palacios is a part of our team in 2024. Like, don't worry about the 40-man roster and how you're going to make it work and taking away opportunities from other players. You need guys like this. You need guys who are utility pieces that if you need a plug and play, you can. Oh, and you can actually rely on their offense in this situation. So I don't even think he's playing his way into it. He should be back onto this roster next season and be on the 26 man roster to start the year. Yeah. And we've talked about, you know, Carlson being a fourth outfitter going to next year. I think Palacios has leapfrogged him. I, I really do. Palacios has been given an opportunity. Now, he hasn't been starting because they are having to deal with playing Tyler O'Neill to recoup value. Um, but when Palacios has been given opportunities, he's taken advantage of it. You know who didn't do that? Dylan Carlson. He's Palacios been more impressive in his, what is he at, 16 games than Carlson was in his 76 this year. And that's just, I, I think that is just the facts of it. I, I think Richie Palacios looks like a capable kind of slap hitter that has a little bit of pop. Now, will he hit 316? No, I don't believe so. I think he's more of like a probably 230 to 250 yeah. hitter. But he provides good defense for you. He's got some speed, and he can play. He even can play a little bit of infield, as we were talking about in the office today. So I, I think, yeah, I think right now, I think he's a guy that's going to be competing and could be the fourth outfielder for this team going into 2024. So his ceiling is capped relative to like what Dylan Carlson's ceiling is, right? We saw two years ago, Dylan Carlson was a really good baseball player for the Cardinals. The question is, can he ever get back to that? Palacios is a legit left-handed hitter. Carlson, based on the way that he has performed, is a right-handed hitter who happens to hit switch hitter. Um, So going into next season, if they decided, hey, Dylan Carlson is going to be our fourth outfielder going into opening day, Palacios will start the season in AAA because they have options on him. And then at some point in time, he'll probably get the call up. I would have no problem with them doing that. I'm not sitting here arguing this guy has to be on their 26-man roster on opening day and anything else would be a complete failure. I do think that they found something in Palacios. He's a depth piece. But I think part of what's been an issue for the Cardinals over the last few years is that they've run out of players, like especially on the pitching side, but at times on the position player side as well. You mentioned Taylor Motter. That, that cannot be your answer next year. You can't have guys like Taylor Motter, and I think you could argue Jose Fermin fits into this category as well. Those guys are, are sub-major league caliber players. Defensively, sure, they're fine. But Richie Palacios is fine defensively, and he actually gives you a quality at bat. I don't think next year he's going to have a 935 OPS. I would take the under. But I do think he's a guy that you can trust to go out there and give you a capable at bat. And you couldn't do that 
with Taylor Motter or at times with Jose Fermin either. So they found something here. I do think he should be a part of the 40-man roster going into the offseason. And because of that, I'll give them their props. This is a under-the-radar type of move that the Cardinals have not done a good enough job of in the last couple of seasons. But finding a Richie Palacios that you can just add to your 40-man roster for nothing, that is a valuable thing that they need to do more of, especially on the pitching side of things. This offseason, you need to find your Richie Palacios of the bullpen. Find one of those guys that comes out of nowhere, goes into spring training, you're like, wait, the guy throws 97 now? Where did this come from? Who is this guy? Where do they find him? How did a 26-year-old that's kind of been just meandering around the minor leagues become a real player for them? That's what Richie Palacios is. They need to find that on the pitch. Someone side. just texted in on Air Comfort Service text on and said, would you guys even be having this conversation if he didn't hit two home runs last night? Absolutely, I would. Because and, By the way, he did. <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, yeah. You, but, you can't say that if he didn't do that. Well. If he didn't have 13 hits in his 41 at-bats, we wouldn't be talking about Richie Palacio. So, but, but let's take the game out last night. He's still gotten you six home runs, or I'm sorry, six RBIs, a home run, two doubles, and 38 at-bats with a 290 batting average, 421 slug, and a 746 OPS. Those numbers in 15 games were better than what Taylor Mata put together all season for you. Yeah. So yeah, I'd be having this conversation he, regardless. His numbers are in line, by the way, with what Alec Burleson has done this year, if you take away like all of the power. So yeah. I, I think that, yeah, you, you can make a strong argument that this is a guy that's making a case as a fourth outfielder and for you. To your point of they've been really lacking finding that kind of just depth piece that can be on the bench and is a quality major leaguer. They've been missing that kind of guy off the bench since, what, Daniel Descalso, yeah. Greg Garcia, Palacios. Br- Brad Miller, I would say, was the last one that they found that was that okay. guy, and then eventually yeah. they, Had to they needed him starter. to be more. Yeah, yeah that's, that's fair. I forgot about Brad Miller. How in could the you 20... ever forget about well, Millsy? 2020, I tried to forget about that 60-game season. Millsy and Ravioli, but two of my I think Palacio can be that kind of player, like the Descalzo, the Garcia, the guy that is, okay, you really don't <laughs> want him to be a starter, but he's a guy that can come off the bench, can give you a quality at-bat from the left side of the plate, and just kind of a slap hitter that has just a little bit of pop. And that's the guy that they've been missing for the last handful of years. The other thing is, I mean... We've talked a lot about this. The fast lane brings up the idea of the Cardinals finding their static eight, right? They need their guys that are in the lineup every single day that are playing in the field every single day. Having a guy like Richie Palacios helps you with that because you're you're never going to be tempted to put that guy out there to start over Walker or Newt Bar or whoever that third outfielder is for right. you. You're always going to say, this is our fourth outfielder. He knows what his role is. The team knows what his role is. And he's comfortable within that role. Whereas if you have, like Dylan Carlson, for example, as your fourth outfielder going into next season, it becomes a bit more murky. Because if he is your fourth outfielder and you've got Tommy Edmonds starting in center, there will be times where you say to yourself, man, should we be starting Dylan Carlson? Is that the right move here? Should we be considering somebody else for that spot and maybe bringing Tommy Edmond into second base, maybe giving Gorman some data? This makes it very clean. There is no question about who should be starting where Palacios would be your fourth outfielder in this scenario. So I think there's I think there's some value in that as well, especially when the guy has some options coming up next. There are some great triplets in Major League Baseball right now. I'm talking about the trios that you would want to build around. The best of the bunch is Atlanta. I've got a stat for you on them. And what is the Cardinals current trio that they're building around? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Guys, 
yesterday. What's happening with the Atlanta Braves is pretty amazing. You look at the way that they have built around their current core, and we think about all their young guys, right? Ozzie Albies and Austin Riley and Ronald Acuna Jr. They made a big decision a couple of years ago to let Freddie Freeman walk and to bring in Matt Olson. Have you seen what Matt Olson has done so far this season? It's been awesome. Yep. He just broke the record for most home runs in a season, or tied it, I guess, uh, by any Brave in the history of that historic franchise with his 51st home run on the season. He now has an OPS on the season above 1,000. He's driven in 128 runs, which is the most in the National League. If you were trying to put together the trio that you're building around for the Braves right now, you probably don't even include Matt Olson in that. It's probably Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley, and Ronald Acuna Jr. So I wanted to discuss, like, that's the one that you're building around. If you could have any trio in Major League Baseball to build around, you're saying the Braves, and there is, I don't think, a close second place. Who's the Cardinals' current trio? Like, there's a hard decision you have to make there with Matt Olson probably being on the outside looking in because of how great their other young players are. If you were to put together, hey, you got to keep three. It's like a... Um, what expansion draft. You're protecting three guys and the rest are exposed to the draft. Which three would you be protecting right now, Alex? Two of them for certain are Walker and Arenado, and then I could hear the debate on the third one because the three guys that I would put up for conversation in there would be uh, Wilson Contreras, Lars Newtbar, and Nolan Gorman. I'd lean more towards Lars Newtbar and Nolan Gorman because they're younger and I think the defense outweighs the offense. But I do look at Wilson Contreras' offense from like the second month of the season up until now and say he might be a part of that. So two for sure, and then I'd hear the argument on those three guys. Yeah, so I agree with Arnado and Walker for sure. The only reason Goldie doesn't fall in this is because he's a free agent at the end of next year. That's the only reason he doesn't fall into this. Um, I I think you're right on the three that you debate. I actually would probably cross Contreras off of this because his offense has to – outweigh his defense so if he's hitting well like he is now you don't really talk about it but as we saw early on in the year if he struggles offensively he's a below league he's a not a positive war player I would actually go towards Gorman just because I don't think there are many left-handed bats like his that have 40 home run power potential but I totally understand the argument of Newpar because if he continues to add more power to his game he becomes an all-around player he becomes the player that the Cardinals envision O'Neill being where he can steal some bases when he gets on base he can hit for average he can get on base at a good clip because he draws a ton of walks and he's got a little bit of pop at the top of the order too so I totally understand the argument for um, Lars Newpar but I dig the long ball. So I, I would say Nolan Gorman because there's just not a lot of left-handed bats that have that kind of power. Chicks dig the long ball. Me too, I w- though. I would probably go Walker, Arenado, and Newt Bar, but I understand any argument to the contrary. Like, if you wanted to include Donovan, I could see the argument, honestly. About Donovan. If you wanted to include Gorman, I get the argument. 40 home run power potentially there as a guy that's 23 years old. Like, yeah, that's super appealing. The Cardinals are not to the same level of the Braves, but they're two of the very few teams that you could do this discussion with and say, man, there's six, seven, maybe even eight guys that you can put into that criteria. And that's just on the position player side of things. That's before you get to anything on the pitching side of things, which obviously wouldn't help the Cardinals, but certainly would with the Braves because you can bring in Spencer Strider into that conversation. If you were to expand this discussion to all the teams in Major League Baseball, Braves number one, they're, they're the creme de la creme. Who would you have as the next best trio that you would want to build around? I've got a few of these. Like, 
the Dodgers with Betts, Freeman, and Outman. Uh, I think Houston has a really good one with Bregman, Alvarez, and Tucker. Uh, I think Texas has a few different options that you could go with, but like Simeon, Seager, and Young would be one potential option. Toronto, Bichette, Springer, and Vladdy. Who would you want as your next best option? Honestly, it seems weird to say, but would you take the Mariners with Rodriguez and like pick any two of their starting pitchers? I, I, I'm, let's go position player. Oh, okay, position so, player yeah, wise. Yeah. Okay, because um, you got Raleigh uh, Rodriguez, and then I would assume Crawford would probably the third. Yeah. Be the I third would have to theirs. put the Padres there, and I know they underperformed, but like Soto, Tatis Jr., and Machado are a Pretty hell of a one-two-three yeah. punch that I would want on my team. I would throw Baltimore into that conversation as well. I mean, you look at Rudgman, you got Henderson, and then uh, a guy that's Mullins? like. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it would be Mullins or it would be – he's so underrated that I'm already forgetting his name. Um, gosh, Hayes. Hayes has been really good for them. Or, excuse me, Santander. Santander's been uh, really yeah, he's good. he's been very good. Uh, so Santander would probably be the guy that would be in that conversation as well, or Mullins. But I would put Baltimore in that conversation. And let's just be honest, Jackson Holiday probably – I was going to be in probably that conversation, if not now, next year at this time. Yeah, and let's not forget about Philly too. Schwarber, Turner, Harper, you could put one of the other young guys in there as well. Real Muto is not having a good season, but we know how great he is as a catcher long term as well. Like they've they've got some good guys. Would you give any consideration to taking the Cardinals in this or how far below these teams that we're talking about now are the Cardinals in your mind? I mean, with like, I I don't know. I, I feel like I would be taking all of these teams ahead of the Cardinals. And I know, like, the future of Walker and Gorman and Arenado, if that's the three we picked, like, the the future of two of those three is pretty incredible. And then you've got a guy who's gold glove winner every year. I, I still think I would take all of the other guys just because I, I, I'm still it, – it's hard to say skeptical of the Cardinals three, but I've seen it in the past where the guys get hype and then it just doesn't live up to it. So the other teams, I've seen it on a consistent basis right now to where it's living up to the hype. Yeah, I think I would put them in the same conversation – that's probable, man, maybe the Phillies. Because I thought Baltimore, but it's like, man, I think I would rather have the guys on Baltimore right That's now. That's the thing is I think the Cardinals is actually, they're kind of building like the Blues, what we talked about earlier, where yeah. they do have superstars, the Cardinals do, but it's it's more about the depth of that talent than it is about like three guys that you would absolutely take over yeah. everybody. Like the, the Braves have that where it's, that is overwhelming in terms of the top three guys that they have available. The same thing is true for the Dodgers, where it's just like, Hey, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, boom, put that on the table. Who you got that's going to come up against me? And it's hard to beat that hand. The Cardinals is more about like, hey, we've got Walker and Arenado and Newtbar and Goldie and Donovan and Gorman and Contreras. We go deep as opposed to the top three being the best of the best. I think I would take Atlanta, L.A., Toronto, San Diego, probably Texas, if I'm being honest, definitely Houston, all above the Cardinals top trio. So that's where they have to they have to continue to build with that depth. And it's why I am skeptical that they should go out there and trade from this group that we're talking about for pitching this offseason. And that makes it even more likely that they need to go out there and add pitching via the free agency market. Coming up next, excited to talk to Justin Falk, Blues defenseman. We'll ask him about his summer, what he's most excited about, about this core group of players that they're going to have going into next season. Justin Falk, Blues defenseman next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, the 
Falketeers are about to run wild on the upcoming hockey season because it is right around the corner. And joining us now on our celebrity line, BK and Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson as well. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is Blues defenseman Justin Falk, who will be in attendance at our Blues and Brews event next Friday at Anheuser-Busch Brewery. He, along with Bennington, Pareko, Shen, Thomas, Hayes, Baruby, Blues alumni, food trucks, ESPN giveaways, more information up at 101ESPN.com. Justin, it is great to catch up with you, my man. How are you? Not too bad. Yourself? Doing all right. How's the summer treated you so far? Is it nice to be back into St. Louis? Yeah, it was a good summer. Um, just didn't have too much going on. It was pretty pretty calm, low-key. Uh, it's nice to get back and get settled in and, and uh, get back in the swing of things. Justin, I'm a, a new parent. I've uh, My baby boy was born about two months ago. You, you've got a kid at home, right? Can you give me any parenthood advice that you've got? Don't read any books. Just wing it. Go with the <laughs> What was the most difficult uh, part of the transition for you as, a, as an NHL player? What was the toughest part of the transition of becoming a parent? Um, I don't know. I, I, honestly, I don't. It, it hasn't been too bad. My wife, wife's been good. We got two kids now, and um, she she makes it pretty easy on me, uh, especially during the season. Um, hardest part is probably just saying no to other people when they ask for. Uh, for you to do something or if you're busy or whatnot, um, you, you like to kind of do some stuff, especially in the summer. But, um, yeah, saying no is probably the, to others, like I said, is probably the hardest. You said don't read the books, Justin. I got two little ones at home, and I, I, the advice become it comes out of the woodwork when you have children, <laughs> whether it's from friends you haven't seen since high school or whether it's relatives that are like second cousins on a different line of family trees. They're the ones that seem to always provide the advice through everything, don't they? Yeah, unsolicited, too. <laughs> unsolicited, which makes it uh, even better with that one. Well, speaking of the offseason, uh, Justin, you and a lot of the guys, it seems like, have been hitting the links lately golfing-wise. How have, How's that gone for you? Um, started the summer okay. Golfing kind of went to crap the last month and a half or so. Um, so hopefully I can get around in here before we get going and, and feel good about my game. Otherwise, it's going to be a long winter thinking about it. The, the Blues sent out some pictures of you guys out there all together the other day. It, it looked like you were fishing at the golf course. Uh, Justin, can you can you take us behind the scenes? What what were you fishing for? Uh, yeah, I got there and I, we were out of Boone Valley. Some people that have, that are members out there or have played there say there's bass in all the little ponds that they have. Um, they've been talking to me about it for a while. And then I got there and someone put a fishing rod in my golf cart. <laughs> uh, I didn't bring my own, um, or anything. So I, I took that out. Then I had a little bet with one of the guys that I went and catch a fish and, uh, wasn't on video or no pictures, but I did catch a few fish out there. So I, I definitely, anything good. Did you actually get a bass out there? Yeah, I caught a few, uh, nothing. No, they're pretty small. I mean, but. <laughs> I, I thought of you. The first time I saw the picture, Justin, I, I originally thought it was one of those ball catchers that you go dig into the water <laughs> with. And I'm like, man, I need to get me one of those because that's typically where I'm at when I play golf. 
well, it was the benefit of spraying a couple into the waters. I got to go fish and put the line in the water a couple more times than normal. You come away with a few extra golf balls, which is never a bad thing. Well, Justin, with the season getting underway soon, training camp next week for you guys. Uh, the first thing I, I was curious about was the new defensive coach. And you've been around teams for a long time, being a veteran in the NHL. Uh, now with Mike Weber, have you seen a difference at all? And how much do, do new faces and new voices like that benefit a team that has established veteran defensemen. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's been good. We, we haven't had too much interaction yet. Nothing, no official practices or anything. So uh, guys are kind of poking their head in and out on their own schedule. So more so as on an individual basis, maybe versus a group setting. But um, yeah, I mean, he, he's been around. He played, he, he's uh, experienced. And, um, you know, guys are always open to, to new things. And um you know, like like you said, a group of guys that are on the back end that have been around quite a long time and um, have played on different teams or for different coaches are, are used to it. And um, I think it should be a pretty smooth transition for him to come into our group. Justin, we know last year didn't go the way anybody expected it to here in St. Louis, but you guys have an established blue line. You did find some things that you could maybe work through uh, at the end of last season. You guys finished strong. What was your biggest takeaway from last year? Was there anything you learned about yourself, the team? What, what was your biggest takeaway from last season? Uh, just, it's a hard league. You can't, um, you can't take nights off. You can't take anything for granted. Um, otherwise you find yourself in the position we were in. Um, you know, every there's, you look around the league and especially with kind of the salary cap situation, everyone's kind of crunched and, and in a position where they think they can compete. Um, there's not a, there's not too many teams, um, thinking that they're still building up or, or not ready to kind of make that turn or, uh, make that next jump. So there's a lot of teams right now that were on the outside last year that I think coming into training camp this year thinking they have a good shot of getting into playoffs, but when that happens, someone has to go out, and uh, that's what happened to us last year. Um, so you, you just there's so many teams, and, and they, on any given night, something can happen, and you kind of compound that over 82 games, and um, it's tough. So you got to be ready from the get-go and, and just expect that it's going to be a long season, and it's, it's a grind, and, and that's worth it. Because uh, at the end, if you do kind of show up to your job and, and put in the work, you, you get the reward of playing in the playoffs. How long does that does that stick in your mind, Justin, when you miss the playoffs? Because you went through that at the beginning of your career with Carolina for a little bit, and then, of course, you caught that towards the end of it. And since you've been in St. Louis up until last year, it's been postseason. Yeah, um, it gets long. Uh, I'll be honest, I usually don't come back as early as I did this year. Uh, for training camp, I usually kind of take my time getting back and stroll in probably about this week. I came back over a week ago, so um, <laughs> if we had probably got home in June or back in Minnesota in June, June or July, maybe would have taken that extra week or week and a half there and enjoyed the summer a little bit longer. But um, yeah, it got long, so I think everyone uh, was ready to get back. Most guys are back already and back early, and um, it's not not enjoyable. No one complains about having summer, but. Um, it kind of just leaves a sour taste in your mouth throughout the whole summer. So you just kind of get ready to go and, and try and put an end to it. 
Justin, final thing that I wanted to ask you about, we're talking to Justin Falk, Blues defenseman here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Kevin Hayes was the big addition this offseason. We've heard a lot about who he is, not even just as a hockey player, but as a guy who's being added to that dressing room. Uh, in your brief experiences, talking with him, being around him, golfing together, whatever it might be, what have you learned about Kevin Hayes, the person? Uh, I've, I've known Kevin for a while. I, I, um uh, yeah, so I, I knew what we were getting. Um, he's a good dude. He's he's got some personality, which will help our group. Um, he, he's light, uh, always keeping things light, uh, having a good time, uh, good player. But yeah, besides that, he's just a good dude. He, he's fun to be around. He's he's good in a group setting, and and that's going to be perfect for our, for our locker room. And um, we could probably use a little fights in there once in a while. And, <laughs> always get and a guy like that can can uh you know kind of help make it fun go to the rink on the bad days um there's always gonna be bad days but when you have guys that are um have some personality and like to joke and and uh go that way it helps a lot on the kind of the dog days and um yeah like i said i, I knew what we were getting and i'm sure guys are starting to learn right now that um, he's going to be a great fit for us. I got to imagine a guy like that too, Justin, helps some of the younger guys feel like they can have a voice when you've got somebody who makes it light in the locker room throughout a season. Yeah. I mean, you know, guys are quiet sometimes, younger guys, and, um, you know, aren't, aren't sure, as the reality of it is, aren't sure what always when to crack jokes or when to be serious and, and what that situation is. So having a guy like that that kind of sets the tone and um, can kind of do it for the room which should help those guys a lot. Justin, one more for me. Speaking of uh, younger players, Scott Perunovich uh, coming into this upcoming season with with a big opportunity now and with the news of Tory Krug's uh, injury through preseason. You've known Scott Perunovich for some time. You've seen what he's had to go through. What do you think an adjustment like this is like for Scott Perunovich and this opportunity in front of him? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he wants to play. He just wants to play games and, and get going and, and find a rhythm. I think um, he knows what's at stake. I think um, ultimately he's trying to stay healthy and and get enough in a, a full season, a full camp, and, and go from there. Um, you know, there's always opportunity. You can always play your way into positions, and um, he's got the opportunity. And he just needs to kind of go out there and have the confidence that I know he has when he plays and and play that way. And um, he should be fine. Well, I can't wait, and I know Blues fans can't wait for training camp to start up next week, Justin, and I can't wait to see you and your uh, your teammates out at our Blues and Brews events next Friday. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today, man, and uh, good luck the rest of the uh, off-season before training camp starts up next week. Sounds good. Thank you. Awesome. There you go. Justin Falk with us here on BK and Ferrario. You heard what he said there at the beginning whenever I mentioned Kevin Hayes' name. Sometimes you can tell it's not even about what people say. It's all you need to know. It's about how they say it. Yeah. And Justin Falk, the first thing that he did upon hearing, hey, what do you think about Kevin Hayes and his addition to this team? Is he laughed. Alex, this is something that this team needed. They needed some levity inside of that locker room at times a year ago. And whether it's him, Oscar Sundquist, having Robert Bortuzzo, who, of course, has been there previously, I think that's going to help them, man. I think at times they get a little bit too uptight and at times they get a little too uh, intense and like locked into what the task is at hand. They need a little bit of the personality that they had when the big rig was here. And mm-hmm. I don't, Kevin Hayes is not the big rig. Nobody should try to, try to be the big rig. Nobody in the NHL is the big rig. But 
Can he be the personality that they were needing? Maybe. Maybe this is as important inside of that locker room as it is on the ice. I think they got two guys in this locker room that are that way this season because we didn't didn't ask him about it, but the other one would be Sonny. Yeah. Like, you've got two guys, and what he said in the middle of that answer was in the dog days of the season, and think about it. That's when the season went to hell for the Blues last year. Well, it went to hell at the beginning. Well, well, they shut out the Edmonton Oilers 3-0 in the first third or the third game of the year. Yeah, then they went 3-8. Like, once once you hit December, Joey talks about it all the time, like, once you hit December, December and January, it gets exhausting. And that's where Hayes and Sonny comes into play. And I asked him about that, too, because think of the young players on this team. Toropchenko, who had to stand up and talk to people this past year when it got bad. Jake Neighbors, Perunovic, Tyler Tucker. Those guys may not have felt like they had a voice. Now when you got a Kevin Hayes, it gives you that opportunity, too. So I think he's really going to be a benefit to this Blues team. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed any of our conversation with Justin Falk, you can check it out on the podcast page after the show today. 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Coming up next, we're giving away a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Brewers. And we'll wrap up by talking a little bit about Adam Wainwright getting to 199 last night. That's coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield studio on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. BK will give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash coming up in less than five minutes. This is your uh, second chance to win here on BK and for third. I, I forgot I was out on Monday. Third chance to win. We got two more coming up. The rest show doesn't of the exist week when he's not here. Well, apparently we're we're just we're the backup dancers. He's Beyonce. We're uh, Kelly Rowland and the other lady. So yesterday, Adam Wainwright got through five innings, which meant that he had an opportunity to win, and he picks up win number 199. The only other pitchers with more, uh, the only other current active pitchers with more wins in their careers than Adam Wainwright, Verlander at 255, Grinky 225, Scherzer 215, and Kershaw with 210. Adam Wainwright is now fifth among the active pitchers in career wins. Alex, we gave our thoughts at the beginning of the show today on Wayno getting to 199. I don't want to spit, stick too much on that here. You can go back and listen to that on the podcast page. I liked the way they won last night. That was the thing that stood out to me. And I know you guys talked about this on Monday while I was out. I kind of like the way the Cardinals are playing right now. They've been aggressive recently on the base paths. You look at the way that they're playing. It's more crisp defensively for the most part. Last night with the bullpen, they just did a pretty good job locking that game down, honestly. And they're going up against quality opponents right now as well. This isn't like they're playing against the Kansas City Royals, the Detroit Tigers, the Pittsburgh Pirates. They're going up against some contending teams that they're having to play against. I like the way that the Cardinals are playing right now. I do too. And we talked about this during the blue season last year. And I know people were upset of how it ended because you hurt your chances of getting a higher draft pick, but I would much rather have a group of guys who I know are going to be playing on the same team next year, playing at a winning mindset 
than losing and getting a top pick because all of these offensive players are going to be here next year. And if we just keep seeing them struggling offensively and are terrible on the base paths, it's going to carry over. Like, believe it or not, those guys are going to go into next season and think, man, we sucked last year. How would we get out of this? Now, at least you can see what the light at the end of the tunnel looks like pitching wise. The bullpen's great because a lot of those guys are going to be there. Like we've talked to Michaelis. I, I take it with a grain of salt because it's just a guy who's in the middle of a bad year. He'll be fine next year. And then the other starting pitchers, it's like, good. Zach Thompson's pitching well. So you know that that's going to be in his mindset going into next year. Yeah, I'm glad to see that they're playing better baseball against these teams because coming into the month, they had the second toughest schedule left in baseball. Yeah. And it would be easy for our team to just say, roll over, play dead, and just get through September. And they haven't done that. They have shown some fight. The offense has carried them through some games. They showed that their power or their offensive power can go up with the Atlanta Braves, who we talk about all the time as being the best team in baseball. And I and you said the defense being crisper. I think that's the biggest takeaway for me because though it is they do need to add starting pitching this offseason and they do need to change the model and get swing and miss. They need the defense to get closer to what it was in 2021 when they Just won the, the team gold glove. Yeah. And you've seen improvements from Walker. You've seen Nolan Arnado get back to being himself defensively. And then also you got Mason Wynn who looks incredible up the middle defensively. So you are starting to see signs that you really like that are encouraging. The defense improving, the offense being as being what we thought it was, and at least one starter showing that, hey, I could be a guy in your plans moving forward in Zach Thompson. We don't have to spend a bunch of time on this. we got to get out of here in just a moment. Something or nothing, Giovanni Gallegos was the first guy out of the bullpen last night before Matthew Libertor, King, and Helsley. I say nothing for now. Um, I do. He. It was the eight nine one hitter that he came in to hit. Yeah. To, to I think I say against. nothing because just because there was an article recently about they're working on something new with him on a new spot where he starts his delivery from. I think that's part of the reason why they wanted more more low leverage, quote unquote. Yeah, I'd say it's nothing. Also, I think it's something. I think that going into next year, Geo should be part of the sixth inning mix. I think they've got a lot of those guys. Oh, right I don't now. disagree with you there. It's kind of like the offense used to be where they had a lot of two hole hitters and six hole hitters with nobody that could be like three, four, five. I think right now in your bullpen, you've got a lot of like John King going into next year. If he was a six fifth inning type of matchup guy, I'm fine with that. Libby, same thing. Geo, same thing. Helsley's really the only one that is currently active. Jojo, I think, could fit into this mix maybe as well that I feel comfortable with going into the 7th, 8th, or ninth innings. So going into next year, you you really need to bolster the back end of that pin. You don't just need arms. You need leverage arms going into next season. And I think Geo, the way that they're utilizing him right now, speaks to that need. All right, right now, it's your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus the Brewers. It's the final Bud Bash game of the season, and it will feature a limited edition Brendan Ryan bobblehead if you were texter number 101 at 314-399-9646. And you can tell us what city I was in when I ended up getting $350 charged to my account because of what happened in that house that we stayed at there based on a service. If you are a texter number 101 and you can name that city, you are getting the four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash. For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.